This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. In Chicago, two comedian skeptics named Andy and Art were mysteriously abducted by the illusionary mastermind and conspiracy theorist known only as Mr. Mr. Bunker. Bunker. The following serves as a record of Bunker's attempt to convince non-believers of the truth about conspiracies and paranormal activity. Andy and Art give an uninterrupted presentation and verdict on the plausibility of these offbeat topics, delivering what they call the whole enchilada. Will Mr. Bunker convince these two skeptics any of this is real? Will it convince you? Welcome to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. As always, I'm your co-host, Art Stone. And with me, as always, is your co-host, Andy Hart. Good whenever you're listening to this BFers. <sighs> Bunkfuckers, there was no episode last week. We'd like to apologize. It is somewhat my fault. I was recovering from COVID. However, Andy, is there anything you'd like to say about that? Because um, you gave me COVID. Well, uh, well, I would like to just, in my defense here, mm-hmm. say that most people say it's the thought that counts when they get a gift, <laughs> and they don't just complain about the gift. Okay. Well, it's just that, Andy, over the years, you've given me a lot of, you've given me a lot of diseases. You like to open mouth cough into your friends' faces. Mm-hmm. Is that true or not true? Yeah. Well, I mean... Look, the later seasons of the Game of Thrones television show had a big impact on me. Okay. I think it's probably, you know, seasons uh, <laughs> six, seven, and eight, probably the three greatest yeah. seasons of any series on television. They finished strong. And I really want to be a faceless man. And so I've been trying to give people the gift of death by giving them diseases. <laughs> okay. I didn't know where you were going with that, but you've given me over the years hep C. Mm-hmm. You've given me AIDS. Mm-hmm. You've <laughs> don't ask how a bunk bunkers. You've given me Ebola, right? <laughs> a lot of a lot of different diseases, right? Yep, all gifts from you. Uh huh. You gave me rickets. You yeah. gave me polio, which I don't know how you gave me that. Yeah. You gave me measles, mumps, <laughs> and rubella. I have diphtheria from you. Uh-huh. Cholera. I have cholera. Chlamydia. <laughs> oh, we don't want to give into the STIs that I've gotten from you. Yeah. You are really a... That's just from using the open voice face toilet after Yeah, me. you are a just a fucking like Nurgle-like pox mm-hmm. yeah. in my life. Yeah, I'm the grandfather of this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's fitting to today's episode is the, the gift of giving diseases. Isn't that true? Well, yeah. I mean... Pretty apt, I guess, in this sense, because today, Bug Bunkers, 
I'm going to be teaching you and Art. Wow. Your unsuspecting co-host. Hopefully teaching is the knowledge is the only thing you're giving me today. (laughs) (laughs) Well, are you cold? Here, have this blanket. Uh, Because today we're talking about uh, pre-Columbian contact hypotheses. Wow. So to break this down in a. Yes, please. More. uh, This is this is a topic. Submitted to us by a bunk funker. Oh my goodness, it is. Yes, this came to us from our pal, fellow podcaster, TJ from over at Pick Me Pod. Wow, TJ from Pick Me Pod. He loves these topics. He, lo- <laughs> he loves these types of topics. And we do too. And we do too. And Thank you, TJ. What, yeah, thank you, TJ. So uh, TJ's asking us specifically to look into the possibility that not only was Christopher Columbus not the first person to quote unquote discovered the Americas. Right. But that people had discovered it before him from the opposite coast. Whoa. So people coming from Asia, Oceania. Wow. And I'll tell you what, we're going to talk about even more than just Asia and Oceania. Another we're- word that starts with A. Yeah. Africa. <laughs> Antarctica. Yeah, the yeah, we're going to talk about the Antarctic pre- continents that start with A. What's up with that? You got well, if you count two there's two Americas. What's up with that? I don't know. Another topic for another show. Both of our names start with A. Wow. What wow. the fuck? I mean, bunk bunkers. And I'm people hearing- often call me an asshole. <laughs> that starts with A. That's true. Well, bugfuckers, uh, I mean, we're fucking, are you, are you seeing what we're fucking seeing here? There's sparks flying, um, and we're making connections all over the place. So uh, if you're in a history hog kind of mood, I think this topic is right up your alley. Again, another word that starts with A. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you can't wait to get to all this pre-Columbian goodness, (laughs) if you, if you, if you too like to reminisce about a time before Christopher Columbus existed, (laughs) then please. Hit the fast forward button on your podcast player and you can sail the ocean blue direct to the research for this topic. Because first of all, wow, Art and I got to update you on our lives right. outside of COVID. Yeah, we've we've had a little bit of time off due to my COVIDs. Um, you know, um, thank you, Bunk Funkers, for all the well wishes. I got so many of them. Um, I got almost two. And we that do was incredible. We do appreciate all you bunk funkers who sent um, soup in the mail. Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> maybe next time was so good. Put it in a package that's, you know, waterproof. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Cause we got a lot of leaking bags, a lot of, a lot of cardboard stained cardboard boxes. Right. Yeah. With very, <laughs> you know, rotten chicken and vegetables inside, but very little broth. Now, despite my ailment uh, mm-hmm. over the last couple of weeks, um, right. we did find some time to do some charity. Yeah, that's true. Because, you know, one thing that um, you don't want to do is let COVID stop you from doing the things you normally do. And so Art and I decided, <laughs> you know, the day- which for us, of course, is <laughs> hanging amongst the trash. Right, right. We did participate in a Chicago area litter cleanup event. Yes, we did. And, you know, we care about our community. We care about keeping things clean. We don't like trash laying around in the streets. We might spew a lot of trash out of our mouths mm-hmm. on the mics. Yeah. Uh, but we don't spew trash on the ground. No, uh, and we don't appreciate anybody that does, <laughs> that does litter. If you do litter, you fucking litter. If I see any one of you bunk bunkers littering, I'm gonna bend you over my knee and spank your heinies. Yeah, and that goes double for me. I'll spank you first, then Art will spank you, and I'm gonna spank you again because littering is not cool unless you're littering the world with creativity. Wow, 
But don't Aww. leave your shit fucking lying around. God damn it, bunk funkers. So we participated in a litter cleanup event, and it was a great day. Oh, they were so happy to have us in our aggressiveness. Right. Yeah, they said, hey, you know, you guys can go to the beach over there where nobody else is because that hasn't been done yet. And we're so, like, no, no, no. We want to sit right here with the crew. And so, you know, eventually people started saying that they got diarrhea and <laughs> that their bodies were on fire in different places. And so they started leaving. And eventually it was just us and the event's mascot. Oh, trashy, trashy, trashy. You know him. Everybody's seen him in the uh, many Chicago litter cleanup uh, materials that are distributed widely uh, nationwide. Yep. Uh, trashy, the anthropomorphic trash bag who has a discarded banana peel for hair and some old spaghetti for hair. Green olives, stuff Green with th- pimento for eyes. eyes. Yeah, he's got a toothless grin that's made where <laughs> old Twizzlers are making up his lips. Yeah, yeah. He's got a little vest made out of like old moldy newspapers and red eyes and shit that people don't read. Right. And he has a really fashionable cod piece that's been clearly made out of an old milk jug. <laughs> yeah, his, the, his butt flap is a streetwise. <laughs> He's a great mascot. He's so fucking cool. <laughs> so we got the opportunity to take some pictures with Trashy. Oh, we love taking photo ops. You know, um, I think that people think that taking pictures with a mascot is really more of a children's thing. No. But I think those people don't have a sense of wonder and they're dead inside. So <laughs> I like taking pictures with mascots. So our- and it's so easy because kids are always lined up to take photos with, with mascots. You fucking push them out of the way. Like they're so small. Yeah. It's, it's so, so easy. So easy to cut in line. And yeah, what are they gonna do? And they don't know as much about line etiquette as adults, so they're much less likely to say, Hey, you cut in front of me. And even if they did, you can say, Shut the fuck up, or I'll punch you in the mouth. I like to play mind games with them where I just go, Well, it's alphabetical. Yeah. And then I ask them what their name is, and I just always pick a letter that's above their name. Yeah. And they're like, Well, he fucking got me. It's like, yeah, dude, I'm playing fucking five D chess with these kids. Yeah. It's a good lesson, too, to teach them about how alpha, you know, alphabetizing things works. And how we're alphas, yeah. Right, and no, we're right. alphas, yeah. So, you know, we get to take all these pictures with Trashy. Trashy. We're having a great time, us and Trashy. We asked Trashy to do a few goofy poses, you know, like poses where he bends over and we make like we're Eiffel Towering him or poses where, you know, he sticks, he lays on the ground with his back on the sand on the beach <laughs> and we put his legs up in the air and... Both of us just loom over him with our hands near our crotches. You know, typical goofy pose stuff. Yeah, just goofy, goofy, silly stuff. You know, we, um, yeah, we just did a lot of, um, you know, different, different silly little poses where it's like ones where we're like doing a pile driver to, to trashy and we're, um, you know, spinning trashy around and we're like kicking trashy in the buns and we're like, right. you know, pulling trashy's fake hair, just funny, silly poses. Or, you know, like he's trashy. He's made of trash. We got these, you know, wooden sticks with very sharp pokers on them to pick up trash. And we're stabbing trashy while he recoils in pain. You know, it's just I wanted to do that famous photo. I wanted to recreate that famous Rolling Stone cover where it's John Lennon and Yoko Ono. So I was fully nude. Right. Curled up, trying to hug. He was like, you know, and uh, he was starting to get a little... uh, testy yeah i don't know what it was it's like it's like you were fine for the first 20 minutes of this it's like you're a mascot dude that's your job you know and it's like of course you know the whole time he's trying you know 
Like we're, we're having a playful banter with him. You know, we're talking to him about what our ideas are for photos. And he's saying, I'm not comfortable with this yeah. and you guys need to stop. I'm a real human being in here. I'm not just an anthropomorphic trash bag. And you know, it's just like, we're having this playful banter. We have a good rapport. <laughs> Why with is him. he ruining the mood? Yeah. And then eventually he just starts to get like real aggressive about it. And he's shoving us around and he's saying, get your fucking hands off of me, yeah. put your dicks away. <laughs> and it's just like, I mean, trashy. I thought we had a good thing going here. Well, Anyway, him raising a stink, that's sort of, I mean, I guess that's, I mean, <laughs> it's raising a stink. That's a given. a trash bag. Yeah. But him, him being a little, like, testy with us, you know, all of a sudden, security for the event, the security guy they got working for the event, he starts coming over. And, I mean, this is some, like, haggard-looking, filthy fucking buff guy, yep. chain-smoking, chain got smoking. cigarette in one hand, cheeseburger in the Cheese- other. Cheeseburger. And he's just getting, like, cheeseburger. super fucking pissed off about this. Oh, he's so pissed. Yeah, and he's like, you're fucking touch trashy, get touch trashy. Keep your hands <laughs> off the trash. And then he just comes over and he just starts tasing the shit out of us. <laughs> he's got this taser and he's, you know, he's got one of those where it's got the cables that shoot out. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. shot us each with one of those. I know. And then he comes over and he's got the handheld right. round and he just starts tasing the shit out of us even more. Oh, so yeah. we're writhing around on the ground. Oh, I we mean, were writhing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, frankly, honestly, afterward, my heart felt better than it ever has. So I think he jarred something loose inside me. Gave me a perm. Yeah. Yeah. Your hair looks great. I know. I look like Bob Ross. Yeah. And so he's just tasing the shit out of us until we pass out. Uh, you know, and, and it's like at some point, it's like, you know, if he had asked us to recreate the don't tase me, bro video, it's like I would have been all game for that. Right. You didn't clear that with us first. No. no I which mean, is totally uncool. Yeah. I mean, we asked <laughs> Trashy. Yeah. Before we took pictures with him. Right. You could ask us before you tase us for internet points. Right, right. So anyway, we both passed out. I shit my pants. Of course you did. And it was we... tough to tell whether that happened before or after the tasering. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, you it know. definitely after. Oh, okay. Yeah, and there's not reason no reason to look into it further. So All right, okay. then we wake up here in the bunker. So it turns out this security guard was Mr. Bunker. Jesus fucking Christ. That's a classic, what a classic easy dupe. Yeah. Bullshit, dude. Yeah. Trying to keep us from trashy. Yeah, just trying to do a good thing for our community, hanging with our pal Trashy. Well, Trashy, if you're out there and you're still listening, you know, we'd love to do some more photo ops with you at some point in time. Yeah. I don't think you have to be so fucking aggressive and ruin the mood like you did and be like kind of a fucking lame-o about it. Yeah, I mean, Trashy, if you want to do some more photos with us, I mean, DM us on Instagram or Twitter and, you know. We'll give you our home addresses and you can come over. We can do a few more intimate photos, maybe yeah. some more professional stuff. Right. Um, we'll invite our friend Justin Link, justinlink.com over <laughs> to take some real professional photographs of the three of us. Yeah. High definition stuff that we can keep in our private collections. Right. Yeah. I mean, you'll want these. We'll want these. It's good for everybody. Well, Bunk Funkers, that was how we got captured this week, but um, that's not where it ends because we uh, we have some bunker alarms. We got a little bit of a we got a couple bunker alarms we to got, give out here. Yeah, we've we've not been uh, we may not have been around, but yeah. you Bunk Funkers have never ceased in showing your support for us. So that's true. We're gonna fire up the old uh, Bunk Tech Bunker bunk Alarm Tech Bunker Alarm Three Thousand. Yeah, we're gonna fire up the old <laughs> Bunk Tech. Bunker Alarm 3000. Yeah, this and strange gonna, machine. Yeah, and we're going to give a couple of shout outs to, okay. today to our patrons who have newly decided to join the list of 
people who s- support this show. Yeah, on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Booker Pod. Yeah, if you want to do that too, you can do the same thing and you, you know, you can do it if you want. You can do it if you want. If you want. Um, so let's let's go ahead and let's give a big, we'll, we'll say it up front and then we're going to give you a bunker alarm. Let's give a big uh, shout out here to um, to fuck to Jay Rico, Jay Rico, and, and uh, Richie Lawless. Richie Lawless. I'm sorry, I had him written down. I don't know where they went. Uh, Jay Rico and Richie Lawless, <laughs> newest <laughs> patrons for the show. Yeah. Um. Jay, Richie, thank you for your support. Thank you for your support. We appreciate it. We do really appreciate it. And to demonstrate how much we appreciate it, yeah. we're going to manipulate this Bunk Tech Bunker Alarm 3000 machine to play a perfectly synced alarm. A beautiful sonnet. In, right? Yeah, yeah. It only does sonnets now. We got a new- No, that's- I mean, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, sound? Sound? Sonus? Sonic? Sonic the Hedgehog? Yeah. I got to go fast. <laughs> so- we're going to turn the machine on and we're going to find a perfect alarm that, you know, both perfectly encapsulates how we feel about Jay and Richie's support and, wow. you know, something that's going to speak to them on a personal level. Wow. Um, so here All we go. that. Yeah. Yeah. The machine's very sophisticated. Jeez, okay. All right. So let's turn it on. Fire it up here. Okay, Andy has, oh, Andy has turned a large wheel valve of some kind. Yeah. You got to let the steam out every once in a while. Or it gets clogged up. Okay. Um, okay. So. <laughs> wow. A full fucking train whistle. Thing. Yeah. It's just good to let people know that you're going to be turning the machine on in case so they can get out of the way. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> wow. Clunky. Oh, baby, listen to that engine purr. Wow. Listen okay, it sounds thing. good. Okay. Yeah, that's good. Uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to just twist some dials and push okay. some buttons here. Dials and buttons. <laughs> beep, boop, beep, boop. <laughs> They're so fucking crunchy, man. Yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> fucking buttons are so crunchy. Why? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of, there's clearly a lot of like Dorito dust in the, inside the, you know. <laughs> okay. Mechanics of the buttons. Yeah, I'm in the mechanics of the buttons for sure. Oh, look at this. Oh, we found one. Oh, this is going to be perfect. Here it is. It's called the Richie J. Wow. Uh, let's do this That's one. perfect. Okay, let's cue that up. Just to let everybody know we're going to be yeah, everybody playing in this the vicinity. Yeah, just to be aware. Me and you. Uh, okay. So, Jay, Richie, thank you for your support. This bunker alarm is, is for, for you. you. Uh, in three, a two, a one. Whoa, what an alarm! What's the deal with that alarm? 
Uh, Jay Richie, thank you so much for your support. Bunk Funkers of you too. Jay Rico, Richie Lawless. Hey, you don't have to live within the bounds of the law to be a Bunk Funker. (laughs) They definitely sound like a Miami Vice fucking spinoff or something. Uh, Jay Rico and Richie Lawless, yeah. Or like maybe a- (laughs) Richie uh, Lawless. Maybe a mid-90s tag team wrestling. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I can't wait to see you guys take on the fucking Hardy Boys for the championship. <laughs> um, thank you again, Bunk Funkers. If you, too, would like your own Bunker Alarm, access to the Bunker Discord, all 40-plus hours of our Patreon-only content. Some real good shit there, dudes. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunkerpod. Five bucks a month will get you that. Yeah. Not incredible. A fucking 40-minute video where we cook in the nude a right. whole enchilada. That's not a joke. Right. It's a 40-minute video. Right. And plus, you get access to Art's personal uh, photo repository where he's been doing this thing where he takes a nude selfie a day and he he puts it up on the internet for everyone to but see. But no disgusting feet shit. Yeah. Okay, I'm not on wiki feet and, and I never will be. There's no, no, no pictures of, it's not his face or his feet. <laughs> yeah. It's only from the ankles up to the neck. <laughs> yeah. Check it out, Bugfuckers, patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod. And uh, um, this, is a, wait, wait, this, is a, this is a fun topic. I think it will be a fun topic. Are Enjoyed you, by all. Are you ready to learn, Art? I think I'm ready to learn. I've got my, I've taken my dunce cap off. I'm no longer a bad boy. I'm sorry for spinning wads, uh, spit, spit wads, what are the spitballs at spit you wads. while you were trying to teach. Thank you. And making fun of your ass. Right. As it fucking, you know, you got chalk dust all over your ass. Yeah. Yeah, that's unrelated to a teaching thing. <laughs> I often use my ass to erase sidewalk, <laughs> sidewalk chalk that I see. Yeah, you see kids playing hopscotch outside drawing, drawing with the fucking chalk and you just I drag my your- ass like a dog that's got worms. <laughs> But I'm ready to learn about pre-Columbian contact. Well, I I was surprised by a few things here, so I think you are well, you're going to be too. I mean, bunk funkers. I don't know if you'll be surprised, but you bunk funkers are pretty. Smart. I know art. I know art's not very smart. I'm art not very bright. Definitely going to be very surprised by yeah. some of this stuff. Well, here we go. This is pre-Columbian contact here, Mister Bunkers. Conspiracy time podcast. Land ho. Bunkers, art, me. We all know the rhyme. In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. And where he went, he did not know. All he did was shout Lanto. I don't know. I made up the last part. So <laughs> that's cute. But I guess um, the rhyme is pretty true, right? In 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. But it does leave out a lot of the story, frankly. Yeah. Um, Christopher Columbus famously set out from Europe at the behest of the fledgling Spanish monarchy. Um, in an attempt to find a Western route to the valuable trade markets in Asia and to get around the Portuguese stranglehold on African and Indian ocean routes. Um, so despite being way wrong on his underpinning hypothesis for why he thought this journey would work, uh, Columbus failed upward and eventually made landfall on an island he called San Salvador, which was an island in the modern day Bahamas. Ooh, Bahamas. Yeah. Aww. Yeah. Secrets. Columbus believed he was successful in reaching the East Indies, 
And it's not clear that he ever stopped believing that before his death in 1506. So, okay. Yeah, though he was wrong about a lot and was truly a terrible governor and treated a lot of people like absolute shit or even worse, uh, Columbus nevertheless opened the door for widespread European exploration and brutal colonization of wow. what would become the Americas. What a great door to open. What a great door to open. <laughs> a real Pandora's box there, Chris. So today... We're looking into the possibility that Columbus wasn't really the first non-native person to quote unquote discover the Americas, but that people much earlier might have, uh, and they might have come from the other side of the globe than Columbus. Okay. Our topic today was sent in by Bunk Funker, our good pal TJ from the Pick Me podcast. Uh pickme.libson.com at pickmepod on oh. socials. Oh. Here's what TJ had to say. All right, Quote, let's hear it, I'm quoting TJ. America was, quote unquote, discovered before Columbus from the West. Whoa. There are a couple of different theories about the Chinese or the ancient Polynesians reaching the West Coast of America decades or even centuries before Europeans. There are language and technology similarities. Could it be possible? End quote. Well, we're going to try and answer that question for you today, TJ. Um, So just to be clear, just to clear this up right up at the top. Yes, it's possible. TJ's question, the answer to TJ's question, yes. Because yeah. it's generally accepted now that humans migrated right. to what's now the Americas from, from Asia. The Bering Strait. Yeah, with many archaeologists believing that this happened around fifteen to 20,000 years ago. You could still do it today. Did you know that? <laughs> what? You can go from you can North go, America to Asia? You can go from this little island off the coast of Alaska called like Little, I forget the name. It's like Little Denominator. It's like, it starts with a D. I can't remember the name. And then there's a so there's a little one and a big one. Mm-hmm. And the big one's owned by Russia, and the little one's owned by America. Mm-hmm. And then there's a town on the little one. There's only like a hundred people that live there. And in the winter, this shit freezes up so much that you oh. can walk from one to the other, and then be promptly, instantly detained by Russia as soon as you cross the border. Oh, that sounds great. That's not fucking awesome. Well, I know what I'm doing this winter for my vacation. <laughs> I'm gonna go get detained by Russia. Hell yeah! <laughs> my goal is to be the next Britney Griner. I'm going to bring so much vape juice with me. (laughs) I'm just trying to bring the vape juice to the Russians, baby. Here's the real question. If you or I got detained by Russia, would we be a political liability for the United States or for Russia? Who would that work out? Like, I can't imagine that the U.S. government would come after us. You really should commit lots of crimes because no one would ever extradite you. Right. Like, Like, no one would want you. So All I, have like, to do, I don't fucking want that guy. Please, don't American. Him Please, no, 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 Please no, don't no, bring no. him back. He's your problem. <laughs> we don't want him. We don't want to try him. Yeah. We just want this to be over. Yeah. Um, but you're right, Art. You are correct. Wow, so I was right about something. Tens of thousands of years ago, most archaeologists believes, is that glaciation caused lowering sea levels, which revealed a landmass, uh, Beringia, which is what's now the Bering Strait. Wow. Um, we, which... That landmass appearing due to glaciation caused herds of now extinct megafauna to cross over from Asia to the Americas and mammoths leading humans to follow that were hunting them. So I guess in a way it's accurate to say that people from the east from east of the Americas made it here first because there were no people before. Um, It's just that there was nobody to contact then. So you can't really talk about contact yeah they're just like what are they just contacting the land but they were really the first discoverers of this sure sure sure. um but there's also good evidence that people in the area of the bering strait so 
once the glaciers receded and the sea levels rose again, water covered the area that's now the Bering Strait, which is like it is today. And there's still some evidence that people on either side of the water continued to have contact. So it's a little bit of a pre-Columbian contact kind of a thing. Um, sending little love notes. Yeah, sending little love notes Can you across. Imagine if you were in love with somebody on the other side. Wow. How cute. Mm, yeah. What a romantic a real, tale. Real. It's like it's like you've got mail meets it's fucking like apocalypto or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's very funny. So to uh <laughs> to wrap up this episode, bunk bunkers, yes. TJ is totally right. Asian people were the first to have hey, Well, there's the episode. Case confirmed. End of the episode. <laughs> LOL JK BFers. <laughs> Fucking got you, BFers. Oh, man, you BFers were so... Look, you should see your fucking faces, BFers. Yeah, BFers, we can see your faces through your phone. Right, yeah. We, we have, have that, to your We have that FBI software that you can use to just FBI look at people's software. faces. And your faces look so fucking dumb right now. Yeah, you fucking dummies. So, uh, just kidding. We're going to get you the whole enchilada on this topic, talking about people from not just Asia, but all over the world who might have made contact with the cultures and societies that developed from those first nomadic humans to cross that land bridge. So we're going to start with um, some stuff that's more or less accepted um, in the, I guess, so the, academic community. The boring per, shit, the, the boring egghead shit. shit. Right, the egghead shit. So even though Christopher Columbus got into the popular consciousness as the first person from the so-called old world to visit the new world, eggheads now generally agree he wasn't really the first. Uh, eggheads also agree on this. Chris Columbus did a great job with Home Alone. Despite that, eggheads have yet to respond to my petition to officially start calling Christopher Columbus and his crew the Wet Bandits. What's up with that, eggheads? Fucking nerds. They want to do that and cool shit like that. Need you to chime in on this, eggheads? Yeah, eggheads. Let's hear it. <clears throat> so, one pre-Columbian contact hypothesis that's generally accepted is that of Norse people. Oh, Vikings. Vikings. Norse contact was so successful in fact, that a Norse colony was established in Greenland in the late 10th century and lasted until the mid-15th century. Happy leave Erikson Day! <laughs> the, the remains of a Norse settlement at Le Ons o Meadows in what is now Newfoundland, which is part of Canada today. Uh, this is a big island on the eastern uh, coast of Canada. Um, were discovered, This the remains of this Norse settlement were discovered in 1960 and have been radiocarbon dated to between 990 and 1050 CE. So more recently, tree ring analysis of the structures at the site have been dated to the year 1021. So we're talking like several hundred years before Columbus. Wow. So though Lawrence Almeadows establishes that Norse colonists traveled to and built permanent structures in North America, few sources describing contact between indigenous peoples and Norse people exist. Contact between the Thule people, uh, who are ancestors of our modern-day Inuit people, and Norse uh, people in the 12th or 13th centuries is known. Uh, and there's at least some suggestion that the famous Norseman, Leif Erikson, it's me, Leif Erikson, uh, made contact with indigenous people uh, in an attempt to colonize what Vikings called Vinland, um, which is kind of in dispute today what that actually refers to. Like in modern geography, um, there are some, there are a lot of different hypotheses about what the Vikings actually meant when they talked about Vinland in some of these older, um, there's like uh, chronicles uh, that they, that mm. they wrote 
but it's not totally clear what it was. And it's possible too, that there were just a lot of different Vinlands, you know, and these are just like places where they felt like were places of prosper basically. Hmm. So, uh, and honestly, bunk bunkers, uh, Norse exploration and colonization of the Americas is really the only widely accepted pre-Columbian contact. That's the only one that most people generally agree because there's very solid archaeological evidence for it. Yeah. So the good news is that leaves us with plenty of speculation. Hell about yeah. About who else was visiting the Americas. The fun shit. That's what we want. The speculative stuff. Yes. All right. So the bullshit. We're going to move on to another hypothesis that it's got at least some traction in the scientific community. Okay. okay? And that is of pre-Columbian visitation by Austronesian peoples. We've talked about them. We've talked about them. I'm going to probably going to mention this. We, this came up in our episode about Easter Island, Rapa Nui, um, of pre-Columbian context. So there's going to be some similar stuff here. We're going to expand on it a little bit because okay. that's uh, what we're talking about today. So um, there's some evidence to support this hypothesis, of course. And some of this people even consider to be pretty compelling. So between the years 2007 and 2009, geneticist Eric Thorsby and his colleagues published two studies in uh, Tissue Antigens, a uh, scholarly journal, that evidence... Oh, okay. I thought that was like my other journal that I that I like to read where they're, they're discussing whether you should get puffs. A nose in need deserves right. puffs indeed. That was one of my favorite articles. Right, like, right. does it? You yeah. Know? And, you know... Does frank, a nose in need deserve puffs Frankly, indeed. I'm a Kleenex guy myself. <laughs> you know, it's like, they don't call tissues puffs. Yeah. They call them Kleenexes. And I'm more of a just that. like generally like the edge of my sleeve kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. Or a you know, piece of sandpaper, real fine yeah. grit sandpaper. Actually, yes, the rougher the tissue, the better. Right. It helps. I, I like to prove to people how tough I am. Right. I like a bloody nose coming from using a tissue. <laughs> so uh they published two studies that evidence an Amerindian genetic contribution to human populations on Easter Island. Uh, and they determined through those studies that it was probably introduced before European discovery of the island. So okay. the implication here is that Polynesian people inhabiting Easter Island, because remember, we talked about this um, in our episode on Rapa Nui. Polynesians were the first people to really inhabit Easter Island. Yes. So they they came sailing very far across the ocean and yeah. landed on Easter Island and were the first people to inhabit it. So the implication is here that Polynesians were living on Rapa Nui and they made contact with people native to what's today known as South America and that then these people, these two groups of people, they fucked each other. They fucked very hard to completion and they produced offspring. And that's now reflected in their genetic records. Oh, that's right. <laughs> we talked because didn't they... Um, they did we go into a graphic description of the sex between? Uh, yeah, I think we did. We, we definitely did. Uh, God knows, you know, bunk fuckers, God knows we will never leave a sex stone not unturned That's on right. this fucking piece of shit show. <laughs> this highbrow. This fucking highbrow high show. It's like, whoa, do they have sex? Ooh, ooh, they come. Ooh, the penis in vaginas. <laughs> oh, jeez. Is Art here or is that my good friend Nick Simon? <laughs> <laughs> but um we talked about that right because one of the theories about like how they got the fucking statues is they had to go to south america right to get the 
the grant or am I thinking am I mixing two different topics? Well, you're you're probably mixing two things because there is an alternative history hypothesis, Tor Heyerdahl, who proposed that the techniques used for well they had I mean, to go learn the techniques right. somewhere they're else. learning the techniques of this megalithic building right not from not from like polynesian knowledge but right. they're learning this from south american people yes and then they're implementing that in right um i guess tor's theory is that there was like some sort of roving band of white people that taught um, okay that taught everybody how to do megalithic building and then they disappeared i couldn't remember if it was our god what was the other one that we just covered Tor, no, it was like uh, non Madal. Um, yeah, and that had a didn't that have a similar thing where it was like they got the I can't fucking remember anymore. Yeah, Nan Madal. There's another island that's nearby where right. there's also megalithic building. Yes, and so the hypothesis there is that the people of Nan Madal learned the building from this from this other island, but. The timeline doesn't really support okay. that. It's like the other way around that it's more likely that people from Nan Madal taught the other people how to Got do make a So they're out. having sex with the South Americans. Right. Cool. Rapa Nui totally getting hot and sexy with South American people. Yeah. Um, and so there's this genetic marker for um, what would be Indian people from South America in the people of Rapa Nui. Got it? Sick, dude. All right. So. In 2014, now a little more recent, geneticist Anna Sapfo uh, Malaspinus. I don't Malas, come on. It might be Malas, come on. It might be Mal, Malaspinus, but I I don't know. In the heat of in the <laughs> come heat, on. In the heat of the moment, I said Malaspinus, <laughs> but it's probably Malaspinus. Malice Penis sounds like a fucking Star Wars character that you or I would play. Like, oh, Darth Vader, you must go fight Malice Penis. Yes, my master. Malice Penis is like Darth Maul's brother or something. <laughs> this Mal is my brother, Darth Malice Penis. Malice Penis. Or it's like a weapon. <laughs> This is definitely some sort of... I must go down to hell and fight Orcus with his malice penis. Wand of malice penis. I do think that malice penis could also be the name of a dark elf from the Warhammer universe. Yeah, it definitely could. Malice penis. It definitely could. There's Malekith and malice penis. Yeah, right. His lesser known brother. Yeah. Doesn't get brought up as much. No, people don't talk about malice penis enough. So... In a Come, on, penis. Come on, what are we supposed to do? Malice penis. You think we're not going to riff on that? Come on. Come on. I'll tell you Let's what. have a little fun. I'll tell you what. These uh, Polynesians and South Americans, some of them had a malice penis. Ayo. Uh, so anyway. They're in sex. So this 2014 study uh, of the, uh, so, uh, and, and uh, at the University of Copenhagen, uh, they published a study in Current Biology that found human genetic oh. evidence of contact between the populations of Easter Island and South America dating to approximately 1400 CE, plus or minus about 100 years. So could have been around 1300, could have been around 1500, but it's it's probably before Columbus arrived. We're way we're more before Columbus arrived than after. Yep, checks out with me, baby. 
So a later study in 2020 that appeared in Nature found that populations in the Mangareva, uh, Marquesas, and Palliser Islands and Easter Island had genetic admixture from indigenous populations of South America with the DNA of contemporary populations of Xenu people from the Pacific coast of Colombia being the closest match. Wow. So the people who authored this study um, made the suggestion that the genetic signatures were likely the result of a single ancient contact. Um, They suggested that an initial mixture event between indigenous South Americans and Polynesians occurred in Eastern Polynesia between 1150 and 1230 CE. So they had like one singles mixer. <laughs> right. And that's the main event. But it was very successful. It was very successful. successful. This was a great party. <laughs> uh, but then there was a later event in Easter Island around 1380. Okay. So, um, but they suggested there were other possible scenarios for contact, um, like Polynesian trips to South America, maybe then Polynesian people returning to Polynesia with people from South America. You know, like they somebody from South America goes with them back. To Polynesia. Yeah, sounds like a Rapa Nui rum springer. Right, exactly. <laughs> a Rapa Nui rum springer. The famous event <laughs> where the young Rapa Nui <laughs> discover themselves. Leave the island. Um, or, you know, possibly yeah, whatever. I mean, we don't know exactly how this played out. Uh, it sounds like a good time, man. I'm into it. Yeah. Have fun. So that's one. That's that's some of the evidence, the genetic evidence. I um, like it so far. But I think that for me, my favorite evidence for pre-Columbian contact between people indigenous to the New World and Austronesian people um, is that of the sweet potato. We've talked about this one before. We've talked about this definitely in our episode on Rapa Nui, um, which we, you know, we talked about this as being evidence then. So we're going to go a little more in depth into it now. So you see, sweet potatoes, sweet potatoes are native to South America. They originate in South America. Right. Yet they were popular in Polynesia by the time Europeans began exploring the Pacific. So genetic analysis of potatoes, sweet potatoes. Oh, what a career. What a career. What do you do? <laughs> study potatoes. Yeah, my name's Malice Penis. I study potatoes. They're genes. Uh, so the genetic Malice analysis... Penis. Supports the <laughs> hypothesis of at least two separate introductions of sweet potatoes from South America into Polynesia, including one before and one after European contact. Now, archaeologists have found prehistoric remnants of sweet potato in Polynesia from about 1100 CE uh, or 1000 CE to 1100 CE, according to radiocarbon dating. Okay. So they've hypothesize that those ancient samples came from the Western coast of South America. So what this, the reason that there are these two events, you know, we mentioned there are two separate introductions of sweet potatoes from South America into Polynesia. What sort of happens is there's this initial event where Polynesians get the sweet potato and that develops. But then after European invasion of the Americas, the sweet potato gets taken out again and then makes its way back around to Polynesia. So the sweet potato that we know today is sort of this mutt version of the sweet potato. Genetically speaking, it's like this mixture of a bunch of different varieties of sweet potatoes. And so because of the popularity, I guess, of the sweet potato as a crop globally, after it leaves South America, it takes on all these different forms. And so it eventually makes its way back to Polynesia. 
So your modern it's like a sweep, totally different thing. Right, right. So it's just, I mean, just to provide some context. Yeah. for and it's one of the reasons why I hope you never get your hands on a time machine. Because I feel like you'd be like, well, I'm going to go back in time and try the original sweet potato. Right. Yeah. And people would be like, well, don't you want to like go kill Hitler or like see if Jesus? No, 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 no. I want to go try that fucking sweet potato. Hitler didn't have access to any food. I don't. <laughs> so, no, I'm not going. I'm not going to that time. <laughs> you do kind of wonder what the original sweet potato tastes like. And you know what I would do, too? And this is this is real. If I had a this time machine, is real. I would eat extinct animals. Before they went extinct. I mean, I'm not going to be there like, I'm going to be the guy that ate the last one. The, <laughs> the guy that ate the last dodo. Yeah. Like, no, that's not me. But I would go eat extinct animals. Sure. You know, I would go eat one of those giant sloths. <laughs> I would definitely be cooking out uh, some woolly mammoth. Yeah. Mastodons. Yeah. Why not? Try it. Um, I would eat dinosaur. I imagine it'd be very gamey. Yeah, probably. They do a lot of moving. Yeah. I would, uh, you know, eat ancient fish. Okay. Eat an ichthyosaurus. <laughs> I'm a brontosaurus burger. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, so anyway, back to the sweet potato. Sure. Uh, nobody really knows for sure, but it is possible that Polynesian people obtain the sweet potato through natural dispersion of the plant. So things have been suggested like birds carrying the seeds, um, and that's how you know, the crop springs up on islands, you know, like birds flying across from South America. They get the like sweet potato seeds, like stuck in their feathers or whatever, uh, or in their poop. And then they, you know, it starts growing on an island. So maybe, maybe Polynesians come at it that way. Um, or maybe the sweet potatoes were being transported by people on the West coast of South America. The boat sinks and the crop just sort of floats over to where Polynesian people are. Or, you know, it's possible, too, that Polynesians sailed to South America, picked up sweet potatoes, and took their haul back to Polynesia. That makes a lot of sense. People from Rapa Nui sail to the western coast of South America. They do trade with South Americans. Yeah. They get sweet potatoes. Right. They love the sweet potatoes. They send sweet potatoes back to Polynesian people Why wouldn't you? in the you know more densely, so to speak, populated areas of Polynesia. So uh, it's also possible that the South Americans initiated this contact with the Polynesians that they sailed to an island like Rapa Nui and they brought sweet potatoes and that's how Polynesians got their hands. So, all right. um, and there's some linguistic support for this too, which is important. TJ mentioned this, um, uh, linguists, linguists, linguists. How am I saying this? Linguists. Linguist malisapinis. It's me. The famous linguist malisapinis. Malisapinis. Melissa Penis? Yeah. So, it's Malice Penis's daughter. Melissa Penis. <laughs> so, uh, the linguists uh, Willem Adelar and Pieter Muskin uh, point out that many Polynesian dialects have words for sweet potato that are pretty similar to words used by people indigenous to the Andes region. So, the words they use are pretty similar okay. for the sweet potato. So, it lends credence to this idea that Polynesians found a new thing when they dealt with the South Americans. They didn't know what to call it because it's new to them. They just kind of adopted a similar term. Yeah. They pulled uh, an art. They got, they got, they found something, they got really obsessed with it and they just copied everything about it and then it became their whole life. Right. Right. They didn't create anything new. They just copied (laughs) what they was already out there. They just integrated with that culture. So, so that's sweet potatoes. 
Very interesting, I think. It's lovely. But there's another food-related piece of evidence oh, God. that we mentioned briefly in our episode of Rapa Nui, but um, I don't know that it really, it, it was very brief, uh, and that's it, chickens. Yeah! Okay, you remember the chickens. So, right. So in 2007, there was evidence uncovered that suggested the possibility of pre-Columbian contact between the uh, Mapuche people of South Central Chile and Polynesians. So there were bones of Aracana chickens found at the El Arenal site in Aruco Peninsula, wow. which is an area inhabited by the Mapuche. And the fact that these bones are here, this supports pre-Columbian introduction of uh, land races from the South Pacific Islands to South America. So these chicken bones that they found in Chile were radiocarbon dated to between 1304 and 1424, which is before, excuse me, the arrival of the Spanish. The chicken DNA sequences were matched to those of chickens in American Samoa and Tonga and found to be dissimilar to those of European chickens. Now, the study has been called into question a couple of different times, though, with a 2014 study uh, saying, quote, the analysis of ancient and modern specimens reveals a unique Polynesian genetic signature and that a previously reported connection between pre-European South America and Polynesian chickens most likely resulted from contamination with modern DNA and that this issue is likely to confound ancient DNA studies involving haplogroup E chicken sequences. End quote. Now, I mean, what's really frustrating about that finding yeah. is that all of these problems could have been avoided if somebody had just eaten the bones. All they had to do was eat the bones. Eat the bones. I ate the bones. So that's chickens. Wow. Maybe an indication. Um, but uh, for other evidence, researchers, including Catherine Klar and Terry Jones, have proposed a theory of contact between Hawaiians and the Chumash people of Southern California between 400 and 800 CE. Wow. So this is That's like fucking... up to a thousand years before Columbus. Yeah. Um, the sewn plank canoes crafted by the Chumash and neighboring Tongva are unique among indigenous people of North America. So other North American tribes don't build canoes this way, but they are similar in design to canoes used by Polynesians and Melanesians for deep sea voyages. So Tomolo, the Chumash word for one of these canoes, uh, might be derived from Tumula'au or Kumula'au, which is the Hawaiian term for the logs from which shipwrights carve planks to be sewn into these canoes. Wow. So there's a little bit of a similarity there. A lot of language stuff, huh? Yeah, linguistics. Interesting. It is. So uh, this theory of the canoe connection has not gotten a lot of uh, attention um, because most of the archaeologists for the Tongva and Chumash uh, cultures reject it just on the grounds that the independent development of the sewn plank canoe over several centuries is pretty well represented in the archaeological record. Okay. So they can see clearly the people developing this on their own. It's not like they never built a canoe this way and right. all of a sudden they start sudden building they these canoes. Building yeah. So um, there's also no genetic support for this connection. There's no none of those Polynesian genetic indicators in the Chumash people. Okay. All right. So in addition to all of these other things, 
Uh, still more evidence. There's a lot of evidence for Polynesians has been put forward of contact from Austronesian peoples with people like uh, people indigenous to South America. Things like evidence discovered in 1930 of the um, Amahuaca tribe of Peru growing a variety of turmeric, a plant that originated in Asia. Wow. So they found that in 1930. So it's well after Columbus, but did it? where did it originate? Nobody else is growing turmeric. Yeah. So the discovery of billy goat weed on Hawaii in 1887. And no, this is not, uh, this is not well, marijuana. This is beavers. not. Beavers. Yeah. <laughs> all the beavers ears just peaked up. Right. God knows they all love it. They love a love tuck okay. in a fucking big old dude. All right. You might be able to go to your local dispensary and get billy goat weed. I don't know. But <laughs> this, in this case, what we're talking about is a weed, a plant species that's native to the Americas. Um, and it was suspected at the time the plant's presence in Hawaii predated Captain Cook's arrival in 1778. But nobody knows for sure. That's not been proven. Uh, there's linguistic similarities in the words used for an axe in the Maori, Mapuche, and Yuramangui languages. Okay. So there are some similarities there. Skulls that Hell have yeah. been found in South America with Polynesian char- characteristics like rocker jaws which unlike yeah. I originally thought is not a guitar playing shark. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently it's when a person's mandible bones lack a certain notch in them, which makes the bones unstable on a flat surface. So hmm. um, apparently if you took my mandibles out and you put them on the table, they I would, would love flat. to. Yeah, I know I fucking you love and to. everybody else listening to this. <laughs> well, you're not going to get it, <laughs> but apparently Polynesian people, this is a, this is like a Just characteristic a thingy, of Poly- yeah. like the jaw. If you set it on a table, it will wobble. It oh. doesn't lay flat. So um, a couple of skulls of people native to central Brazil. So these are not on the coast. We're talking like central the other side. Yeah. Um, these folks allegedly have a Polynesian DNA signature. Um, those results of this, this test, the background on this is that, there are like 12 skulls in a museum oh, from yeah. these people uh-huh. that lived in central Brazil. So it's a very isolated kind of community in central Brazil. Right, right, right. They have 12 skulls in a museum and these are very rare skulls. And they tested the 12 skulls and two of they them- They glow orange. Right, yeah. They're, they're not purple. They're actually orange. They're legendary skulls. Legendary skulls. If you equip one and you have the rest <laughs> of the bones of the person, yeah. you get massive power-ups to your character. Right, right, right. Um, but they tested twelve, all 12 skulls and two out of the 12 had this DNA signature. Oh, wow, okay. But those results have been pretty heavily questioned. The yeah, study that was yeah, done yeah. used a lot of outdated racial terminology oh. in order to classify. Whoops, okay. <laughs> I know. Never mind. Yeah, I know. You don't care about that stuff, but um, it's just they don't feel like the study was done yeah, yeah, yeah. in the most modern way that it could it's have been. It's a little been. archaic. Right. So this has been very called into question. Um, but then aside from all this, this is kind of a fun one. A Javanese map. So a map found. Javanese? In, let's go way back in Java. Um, Where's that? So this is like in, this would be like islands in Southeast Asia where we're talking about Java. Wow. Um, so a Javanese map found by the Portuguese on in 1511 in Malacca, which is what's now Malaysia, uh, was okay. reportedly included a mapping of quote unquote the land of Brazil. Whoa. So a map found in modern, what would be modern day Malaysia 
allegedly included a map of Brazil. Holy shit. Yeah. Pretty weird. That's kind of cool. It's kind of like the Piri Reese type of map. That's what I was about to say. But, you know, it's just, this is like a secondhand account. Like somebody recorded this in a journal, the Portuguese, whoever. So they don't have the map. Right. We don't have the map. The map doesn't survive. We have the we have the Portuguese person's account of seeing the map though. So that's that. That's Polynesian. That's the segment on Polynesia and um Austronesian people contacting pre-Columbian Americans. Okay. So now let's move on. Um, you know, the efforts are Efers. lest you all think that only Vikings and Polynesians were the people doing Christopher Columbus's job better than him. Some people think folks from East Asia also got in on the fun. All righty. So let's talk about China for a moment. Let's talk about China for a moment. Let's talk about China. In the second millennium BCE, so before Common Era, so this would be BC for you uh, Christian heads out there. Yeah. Before Christ. (laughs) Before Christ. (laughs) My new Christian rock band. (laughs) Before Christ. Holy penis. All we do is sing parts of the Talmud. (laughs) It's the Talmud like you've never heard it before. With drums. (laughs) Double bass. (laughs) Shredding guitar. Heard of the shroud or two, but the shred of Turin. Here we go. Yes, I sing everything like this. (laughs) All right, so let's talk about China. Let's talk about China. So second millennium BC, between the Jia and Zhao dynasties, ruled the Shang or Yia dynasty. Mm. Shang rule ended with the Zhao takeover around 1046 BC. That's the three kingdoms. Right? You don't know? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. Okay. I think, I don't know. I might be right, Bunk Funkers. Correct me if I'm wrong. All right, Bunk Funkers. I don't know anything about Chinese lore, and this is 100%. Chinese lore. <laughs> Not history, the lore. History. Well, it's also some of it is. Some like, of it you is. You go lore, back yeah. that far, it's kind of lore. But right, then, right, right. I think this is what Warhammer, the Three Kingdoms, is based on. The Total of. War game, the Three Kingdoms. I is might based be off wrong. This? I might be right. I don't know. I don't fucking care. I don't Here know. Okay. <laughs> but, so, any of you Chinese heads out there, any of you, I don't know, that sounds horrible. I'm going to fucking Google it. Any Fuck of this. you Total War heads out there, let us know. Um, but the Shang rule ended in about 1046 BC with the Zhao takeover. Some people think that refugees from the collapse of the Shang dynasty. No, I was fucking so wrong. Yeah, what was it? The three kingdoms are from 220 to 280 AD. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> it's the Wei, Shu, and Wu. Yeah, you were you were more I'm than a thousand so years off. Fucking wrong. Over a thousand years Holy wrong. Holy shit! <laughs> oh well. Oh well. Better luck next time. Better luck next time. I Googled it. So some people think that Shang refugees leaving the collapse of their dynasty helped kickstart the Olmec civilization in Central America. As evidence, people often cite visual similarity between Olmec art and Chinese art, especially in the case of jade masks that were made by the Olmecs. Um, Though some of the similarities are attributed by scholars to the exceptionally cool Wear Jaguar motif used <laughs> in lots of Olmec art, which yeah. Jaguars is are fucking pretty sick. fucking cool. Yeah. A person that can turn into a Jaguar. Yeah. Uh, fuck a werewolf. Let's get wear Jaguars. Really? You're pro 
Where Jaguar and you're anti Werewolf. I'm ranking the Where Jaguar above wow, the Werewolf. Wow, that's huge. That's I don't much, know if I agree. Oh well, it's much cooler to me. Jesus Christ! Wow, Bunkfunkers, let us know where are you at in yeah. this debate. Yeah, Where Jaguar or Werewolf? Where Jaguar? <laughs> Team Where Jaguar. <laughs> so, um, there's this Where Jaguar motif that some people think you know. There's like, it's things like. There's these like snarled lips. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Almond shaped eyes. Yeah. Which people often associate with Chinese art. Yeah. But it's part of this weird Jaguar motif. Interesting. So that's what, that's what some of the researchers say. Um, the folks who believe that there's this Chinese connection also speculate that working in Jade itself was transmitted to the Olmecs from the Chinese. They also cite things like, a system of writing, both words and numbers, an accurate calendar, architecture, the pattern of settlements, and some religious practices as further evidence of Shang influence on the Olmecs. Yeah, okay. So well, we'll talk about it. In 1975, <laughs> Betty Meggers of the Smithsonian Institution argued in an American anthropologist article that the Olmec civilization originated around 1200 BC due to Shang Chinese influences. The article was later summarized in Scientific American. So this got kind of, from a scientific standpoint, pretty good coverage. Okay. Um, and then in a 1996 book, Mike Zhu, with the aid of Chen Hanping, claimed that axe-like tools found at La Venta in the modern-day Mexican state of Tabasco had Chinese characters on them. Hmm. Now, all that said, most researchers especially people who specialize in Mesoamerican archaeology. I can I can already see where this is going. Don't buy into this hypothesis. Right, because it kind of takes away a lot of their own like lore and agency and shit. Well, that's like that. the very thing, is they say, this is similar to the canoe thing earlier. Yeah. The Olmec civilization developed organically from people native to the region, and that you can see the development of the civilization in the archaeological record. Right. So... Hey, cool. Thank you, China. We appreciate you appearing on the show for that that uh, topic. So, anyway, get ready, Art. Gird Why your do you loins. have a gun pointed at me? Yeah, get ready. <laughs> Are you ready? It's time for the Japan segment of this oh, episode. Oh, let's fucking go, baby! I knew you'd be excited about yeah! this. Yeah! So we're going to talk about Japan a little bit. Some people believe that the Japanese made contact with the Americas, possibly way before Christopher Columbus was even born. Hell yeah. Archaeologist Emilio Estrada and co-workers wrote that pottery, which was associated with a Valdivia culture of coastal Ecuador and dated to around 3000 to 1500 BC, exhibited similarities to pottery, which was produced during the Joman period in Japan arguing that contact between the two cultures might explain the similarities. Wow. So, Art, I'm sure you know all of this already, but yep. for the bunk funkers, let me explain a little more. The Valdivia culture is one of the earliest cultures in the Americas on record. So this is, when we're talking about a culture, in this sense, we're talking about like a similar way of life for people that's sort of reflected in the archaeological record. So the Valdivia culture is happening from about 3,500 B.C. to about 1,500 B.C. So this is a long, long period. Hell yeah. Um, the Joman culture in Japan is even more ancient, originating about 14,000 B.C., uh, when Japan was still connected to mainland Asia. Jeez, that's yeah. fucking wild, dude. Yeah. So in 1962, 
uh, the aforementioned uh, Emilio Estrada was joined with American archaeologist Cliff Evans and the also aforementioned Betty Meggers, proposing the theory that Japanese fishermen had gotten blown to Ecuador in a storm and introduced their ceramics to Valdivia at that time. Man, Japan to Ecuador? That's a crazy long trip, dude. A very long boat ride. Just getting blown off course. Holy shit. In a storm. So when they initially proposed this theory in the 60s, the pottery found at Valdivia was thought to be the oldest pottery ever produced in South America. Holy fuck. So that explains a little bit about why they felt there was some type of event because there had never been discovered any older pottery than that. So there's no history of pottery making to build this on. It's just all of a sudden pottery appears out of nowhere. Yeah. So, man, that's wild. The theory then got challenged at the time by other archaeologists who said that there were strong logistical challenges to the idea that the Japanese sailors could have survived what would have been a nearly a year and a half voyage. Right. In a dugout canoe. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So the cultures were separated by a distance of 15,000 kilometers, which is 8,000 nautical miles. And there's no evidence from that time of complex sailing techniques in Japan. So the Jomon culture didn't have complex sailing techniques enough to carry them 15,000 kilometers across the ocean. Um, So, and then eventually excavations in the Valdivia area in the 1970s did actually show that there was older pottery than what Estrada and team found at Valdivia, leading researchers to believe the pottery may have been influenced by people from modern day Colombia instead Mm. of Japanese people. So researchers are, are also saying there's only so many ways you can add designs to pottery. So it's not surprising that two different cultures may have made similar design choices. Right. So that's. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yeah. So that's just that's a little far fetched for me. But um, some do think that Japanese people made contact with the Americas, just not in South America. Yeah. So, for example, of this Alaskan anthropologist Nancy Yaw Davis claimed that the Zuni people of New Mexico exhibit linguistic and cultural similarities to the Japanese. The Zuni language is a linguistic isolate, which is to say. It's a language that can't be classified into a larger language family. And Nancy Davis contends that the culture appears to differ from that of the surrounding natives in terms of blood type, endemic disease, and religion. So she speculates that Buddhist priests or restless peasants from Japan may have crossed the Pacific in the 13th century, traveled to the American Southwest, and influenced Zuni society. Um, beyond that, Alaskan judge and congressional representative James Wickersham proposed in the 1890s that pre-Columbian contact between the Japanese people, the Japanese and people in the Americas was pretty likely given that there were recorded instances in the 1600s to the 1800s of Japanese ships being carried by the current to places in the Americas, landing in places ranging from the Aleutian Islands to Mexico. So after the Japanese did have advanced seafaring technology, there were actually recorded instances of Japanese ships being blown off course and the sailors just making landfall all along the Western coast of the Americas. That checks out. So yeah. Did it happen before Columbus? I don't know. I don't know. 
We don't know. So outside of these claims of specific contact between Japanese and Chinese people with, with people in the Americas, there's some potential genetic link between Ecuador in South America and East Asia more broadly. A 2013 genetic study suggested the possibility of contact between Ecuador and East Asia that would have happened no earlier than 6,000 years ago, so 4,000 BC, via either a transoceanic or a late-stage coastal migration that did not leave genetic imprints in North America. So uh, what's interesting to note about this is that additional research didn't support this hypothesis, but referred to the findings as, quote, a case of a rare founding lineage that has been lost elsewhere by drift, end quote. So there's something there, but how did it get there? Hmm, interesting. Mm, interesting. All right, so let's move away from East Asia now. Okay, bye. Bye, East Asia. Let's go to the Indian subcontinent. Could Indian people have sailed to the shores of the Americas? That's the question on everyone's mind. I know, I know you were thinking it. So Alexander Cunningham was a British Army engineer who was part of the Bengal Engineer Group and eventually became the archaeological surveyor for the British government in India. So after the Indian colonization, the British colonization of India, right, right, he right. worked as the archaeological surveyor for the government. Okay. In 1879, Cunningham wrote a description of the carvings on the stupa of Bahrut in central India, dating from about 200 BC, among which he noted what appeared to be a depiction of a custard apple. Which is a plant, I, there's so many funny plant names in this. Yeah. Um, but a custard apple, which is a plant native to the Americas. By Cunningham's time, the custard apple was grown in India. Huh. So this had already been introduced to India. So he recognized that as a representation of the custard apple. But here's the thing. He, he got informed later on that the custard apple plant was not introduced to India until after Vasco da Gama sailed from the Americas to India in 1498. Wow. So this stupa vastly predates the custard apples arrival in India. It does. So interestingly, in 2009, a study claimed to have found carbonized remains that date to 2000 BC and appear to be those of custard apple seeds. Wow. So, you go. A little in, apple. Now, in his 1924 book, Elephants and Ethnologists, which is a good name, I guess. Australian. I love British, that game. <laughs> you want to play shoots and ladders? No, I want to play elephants and ethnologists. Elephants and ethnologists. It's a much more fun game. <laughs> so in the 1924 book, Elephants and Ethnologists, Australian British scientist Grafton Elliott Smith claimed that certain motifs present in the carvings on the Mayan stele at Copan represented the Asian elephant with a mahout atop it. What's a mahout? Mahout would be like the Indian elephant rider. Oh. So somebody riding uh, an elephant. Cool. Depicted in stele that were found at Copan. Oh, wow. So um, Grafton Elliott Smith was a proponent of hyperdiffusion, uh, which basically... I bet that sounds a lot cooler than it is. Uh, it does, yeah. It's basically believing that cultural ideas only originate in one place and then spread to other places from the initial point of origin. So it totally shuts out the possibility of multiple cultures developing the same type of idea right. about something. So 
Think of it this way. So many cultures build pyramids. Right. Hyperdiffusion is say they didn't just all come up with this on their own. It had to start from somewhere and spread outward. I don't know how much I agree with that. Hmm? Yeah. I don't know how much I agree with it either. I'd have to see. But um, so that's his idea that these things that appear to be elephants with mahouts are Indian influenced by India. Okay. Most other researchers say the Stella is actually depicting a stylized taper. And uh, not many people are very supportive of Grafton Smith Elliott's idea on this. Grafton Elliott Smith's idea. Of what? Of the taper? No, they of the not of the elephant. Of the elephant. Yeah, they because, say it's I mean, a taper. Right. Which is a native creature. A native native. That, yeah. That's what I think is like that would be like hardcore evidence to me because it's like, well, there's no fucking ele- elephants there. Yeah, they would have never seen They would an have no concept of a mahout and a fucking right. elephant. They'd be like, what? Like, th- that would be like, that would knock your fucking socks off, yeah. dude. If you're like an ancient guy. And, and, you, and like, you can look at it in the show notes, Bunk Funkers, and decide yeah. for yourself what you think it is. Right. I mean, honestly, I could see why you would think it was an elephant, but it just doesn't make sense in the context. It's probably right. a taper. But anyway. Um, so Taper, formerly a great word to open up Wordle with. You guys remember Wordle? You don't put it with tapir. You get your T, you get your A, you get your P. I mean, P's okay, but then you get I and R. Anyway, thanks, Bunkfunkers. Wow, good tip. I would not have thought of that. So, you play Wordle? Uh, let's just put the show on pause for a minute. I'm going to do, do today's Wordle. <laughs> I do it whenever I think about it. Whenever Wordle comes up, I'm like, oh, let me go do the Wordle. I stopped playing fucking months ago. You can do the Loodle. We played Loodle for a little while on the Bunker Discord. I right. got bored with that. Yeah. So and uh, entertain me. Famous uh, Bunk Funker Oracle, Erica, That's right. Elizabeth, shared That's right. a math-based version of Wordle. Never. Very challenging. Yeah. Hurt my brain yeah. a lot. I did not get that one. Did it a few times, though. Oh, okay. Actually, successfully. Wow. Yeah, but very hard. Took me a lot of time. Too much time. It didn't have enough time. <laughs> all right. We spent a lot of time in Asia and Oceania, right? We've been yeah, around yeah, all over. Yeah. And really, that's what TJ suggested for this episode. But right, right, right. Not just folks from the Asian continent were getting in on this action, okay? There are plenty of hypotheses about contact from people who landed on the eastern shores of the Americas did it before Columbus. Wow. Let's check out Africa first, okay? Let's check out Africa. Hey, we got Totart here. <laughs> Totart? Totart. And his Totart malice penis. Totart and his malice penis. So, <laughs> heading to Africa. <laughs> there are people who think that African peoples were in the Americas way before Columbus and contributed pretty significantly to the development of culture. Okay. At this point, Let's welcome back to the program our friends, the Olmecs. Olmecs, welcome back with your giant stone heads. Olmecs. So the idea that the Olmecs are related to Africans was first suggested by Jose Melgar, who discovered the first colossal head at Huayapan, which is now Tres Zapotes, in 1862. So this was the first. uh, The Olmecs are somewhat famous for their giant head carvings. Um, similar to, I guess, the Rapa Nui. Um, and some believe these heads bear African features. Again, it's more of like a visual thing, like with the jade masks. So, um, yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, it's just people, oh, that looks like it has African features. Right. Um, so more recently than this, though, Professor Ivan Van Sertima speculated 
an African influence on Mesoamerican culture in his book, They Came Before Columbus, which came out in 1976. And Columbus was obviously a very strict captain and never allowed his men to come before him. He came before all of them. Every time. There it is. <laughs> Bugfucker's art was smiling, so I knew I had to make a you cum had joke. To, I had to cue you up He was for going for yeah. it, so... Um, so Van Sertima's claims included the attribution of Mesoamerican pyramids, calendar technology, mummification, and mythology to the arrival of Africans by boat on currents running from Western Africa to the Americas. Van Long Sert- journey. It's a big trip. Van Sertima suggested that the Aztec god Quetzalcoatl represented an African visitor. So Van Sertima was inspired by the earlier work of Professor Leo Wiener, Who's, he's probably Leo, nothing funny about that. He's probably Leo Wiener, but I'm going to call him Leo. Yeah, I don't Wiener. see where there's a joke there. Yeah, Professor Wiener and his malice penis. Um, so Leo Wiener, whose 1900 book Africa and the Discovery of America, suggests similarities between the Mandinka people of West Africa and native Mesoamerican religious symbols such as the winged serpent and the sun disc or Quetzalcoatl and words that have Monday roots and share similar meanings across both cultures. Most archaeologists aren't in agreement with Van Sertima and Wiener on this topic. Once again, this speculation, uh, once again, Mesoamerican researchers see this speculation as a case of diminishing independent Olmec cultural development. Yeah. I can see where this gets really messy. Speaking of Quetzalcoatl, while we're on the topic of Quetzalcoatl, some people have suggested that Quetzalcoatl may have actually been a Christian missionary <laughs> from the old world who lived among indigenous peoples of ancient Mexico and eventually attempted to return home by sailing eastwards back to the old world. Okay, sure. So whatever. this hypothesis stems from the myth about Quetzalcoatl, which says that the deity left Mexico by traveling east across the ocean, promising to return. Wow. I don't know. It's... Mm... You know? So there's that old tale from the conquest of Mexico that, you know, initially that, um, you know, Spanish conquistadors were welcomed as sort of um, gods. Yeah. Cortez was like welcomed as the return of Quetzalcoatl. Interesting. That's sort of disputed now. That's probably come from Spanish sources. Sure. That now they've tried to spin this in historical There's records. a lot of that with this topic, right? Where it's yeah. like, well, who's the ones saying the history? Right. It's exactly. the people who are still around and also, you know, like. But so there's Quetzalcoatl is a big focus for some of these either African or just old world in general uh, theories. But let's talk about an example of a claim of pre-Columbian African contact coming directly from an African source. Okay. So not a post hoc sort of, this is a contemporary from the time the contact could have occurred, source. Uh, a ruler of the Mali Empire, and possibly the richest person in history, Mansa Musa, wow. claimed he had been able to seize power when his predecessor set out with a fleet to cross the Atlantic Ocean, thereby abdicating the throne. The previous Mansa never returned from that voyage. So... Mansa Musa stayed in Cairo for three months in the year 1324 while he was en route to Mecca for the Hajj. While he was in Cairo, the Mansa befriended an emir named Abu al-Hassan Ali ibn Amir Hajib, say that eight times fast, who was the governor of the district of Cairo Musa was staying in. 
The emir later recounted to the scholar Alumari what he had learned of Mali from his conversations with the Musa. In one such conversation, Ibn Amir Hajib asked Musa how he had become king, and Musa responded, and this is the quote we have from the emir, uh, quote, We belong to a house which hands on the kingship by inheritance. The king who was my predecessor did not believe that it was impossible to discover the furthest limit of the Atlantic Ocean and wished vehemently to do so. So he equipped 200 ships filled with men and the same number equipped with gold, water, and provisions, enough to last them for years, and said to the man uh, deputed to lead them, quote, Do not return until you reach the end of it or your provisions and water give out, end quote. They departed, and a long time passed before anyone came back. Then one ship returned, and we asked the captain what news they brought. He said, quote, Yes, O Sultan, we traveled for a long time until there appeared in the open sea, as it were, a river with a powerful current. Mine was the last of those ships. The other ships went on ahead, but when they reached that place, they did not return, and no more was seen of them, and we do not know what became of them. As for me, I went about at once and did not enter the river, end quote. But the sultan disbelieved him. Then that sultan got ready 2,000 ships, 1,000 for himself and the men whom he took with him, and 1,000 for water and provisions. He left me to deputize for him and embarked on the Atlantic Ocean with his men. That was the last we saw of him and all those who were with him, and so I became king in my own right. End quote. Jesus Christ. That's yeah. a fuck ton of people. Yeah, what a story, huh? Jesus. So, interestingly, along this same point, Chris Columbus's third voyage to the New World was intended to test claims of earlier African contact with people in the Caribbean. Hmm. Pretty interesting. All right. So moving up from Africa to the Arabian Peninsula, let's talk about the claims that Arabs beat Columbus to the New World by a significant margin. Some accounts of Chinese scholars writing on the topic of Muslim explorers make claims that Muslim sailors reached a region called Mulan Pai. Mulan Pai is normally identified as Spain and Morocco of the Almoravid dynasty, but some think that it is instead some part of the Americas. The idea has some supporters, but not everyone is convinced that Arab ships of the time could have survived a return trip a from the Americas. That's a long trip, man. Well, to get there and back. So, because yeah. they have these stories of them reaching it, which means they got there and then they came back. Yeah. So according to Muslim historian Abu al-Hasan Ali, there is a story about Moorish navigator Kashikash ibn Said ibn Aswad about how he sailed over the Atlantic Ocean and discovered a previously unknown land in 889 AD and returned with a shipload of valuable treasures, or as the story refers to it, booty. Now... <laughs> While, while some have taken <laughs> Al-Masudi literally, others say the historian believes the story to be just a tall tale. That yeah, people told this I mean, story and tough, that it wasn't really man, real. With that, it, it really is because, I don't know. Well, now we're going to get into your, your second love, okay? We're moving away from just Africa and Arabian Peninsula because um, some people doubt the naval prowess of these Arab, Arab sailors of the time, right? Yeah. But few people doubt the seafaring capabilities of the ancient Phoenicians, the trade masters of the Mediterranean. People have been hot on the concept of ancient Phoenicians crossing the Atlantic for a long time. Alleged artifacts have been found in the Americas since the 19th century, 
But most pieces of archaeological evidence have turned out to be forgeries. But Lucio Russo has speculated about a probable arrival of Phoenicians in the Americas in his philogic analyses of Claudius Ptolemy's geography. So Claudius Ptolemy's book, Geography. Mm -hmm. In this book, Ptolemy gives the coordinates of the fortunate isles, but at the same time, he shrinks the size of the world by one third compared to the size measured by Aristophanes, which Aristophanes measured the earth pretty accurately in the second century BC. And so that became sort of the standard for people making calculations about the size of the earth. So Ptolemy shrinks it by about one third of that size. Um, but Lucio Russo observes that by attributing those coordinates to the Antilles, the world gets back to the right size. The geographical description given by Ptolemy fits much better and certain puzzling deformations in Ptolemy's world map disappear. So instead of this being the fortunate isles, which were known at the time, if you actually put the coordinates at the Antilles, which supposedly wouldn't have been known at the time, everything makes sense again. Holy shit. That's kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. So Rousseau is arguing that the Antilles coordinates must have been known in Ptolemy's source, which was Hipparchus. Hipparchus lived in Rhodes and may have gotten this information. Hipparchus, your carcass. <laughs> Hipparchus, your carcass. <laughs> Hipparchus. <laughs> uh, Hipparchus lived in Rhodes and might have gotten this information from Phoenician sailors since they would have been in complete control of the Western Mediterranean at that time. Oh. So the Phoenicians may have been the rulers of the Mediterranean waves in their time, but eventually the Romans gained primacy in the region and beyond. Some believe so far beyond the Mediterranean that the Romans even made it to the Americas. Art's, oh, Art's making a stink face. He's not into it, bunk funkers. I don't know, man. It's just, this is hard. All right. Well, just listen up here. So, most of the examples cited as potential evidence for Roman contact with the New World involve archaeologists finding Roman objects at sites in the Americas. For example, in Brazil's Guanabara Bay, people have been pulling out barnacled clay jars that look like Roman amphorae for a few decades at least. Looked like. Well, some have speculated the jars came from the wreck of a Roman ship. Romans used amphorae for storage on long sea voyages. Although it's also been suggested that the jars could be Spanish made from the 15th or 16th century. Then uh, the New York Times report in the 80s that a Brazilian man, Americo Santarelli, said he had the jars made in Portugal in the early 1960s and submerged 16 of them into the bay in 1961 so that they would achieve an authentic barnacled look. Uh, Santarelli could only retrieve a few of the jars before they started being found by other people. So there's that too. Jesus Christ. Make of that what you will. <laughs> you fucking asshole. A small terracotta. Fucking Etsy shop over here. <laughs> causing riffs in history. <laughs> this is really distressed M4A. Eh? <laughs> Reclaimed from the sea. A small. <laughs> how about this then? Okay. A All small right. terracotta sculpture of a head with a beard and European like features was found in 1933 in the Toluca Valley, southwest of Mexico City. In a burial offering under three intact floors of a pre-colonial building dated, dated to between 1476 and 1510. The artifact has been studied by Roman art authority Bernard uh, Andrea 
director emeritus of the German Institute of Archaeology in Rome, and Austrian anthropologist Robert von Heine Geldern, both of whom stated that the style of the artifact was compatible with small Roman sculptures of the second century. Okay. Timing wise, it's similar to Columbus's arrival, but what we don't know is was the sculpture already in the possession of the people in the area before Columbus's arrival? Did this come from somebody traveling with Columbus Hmm. or, you know, was it, did somebody put it there as a joke in like the 1920s to fool up people doing archeological work? Just a goof and a gag shits and gigs. We don't know. So in 1950 though, an Italian botanist, Domenico Casella, suggested that a depiction of a pineapple, which is a fruit completely native to the New World, it's an American fruit, was represented among wall paintings of Mediterranean fruits at Pompeii. Though the fruit has been described as others being a representation of an umbrella pine tree pine cone. Pine cone? Pineapple? What is it? We don't know. So that's the Romans. Okay. But let's say the Romans didn't make it to the Americas first. Let's say they forced some other people to arrive before Columbus. See where I'm going with this art? I'm of course talking about the Hebrews chased away from their homes by the persecution of Rome. Some people believe they ended up sailing to the new world, leaving their marks behind on rocks. The Bat Creek inscription is one such rock, which was claimed to be found in 1889 in Tipton Mound 3 during an excavation of Hopewell Mounds in Loudoun County, Tennessee, by John W. Emmert. The mound excavation leader, Cyrus Thomas, determined at the time the inscription was Cherokee script. That finding was later called into question because the archaeological evidence indicates the stone bearing the Bat Creek inscription would have been placed in the mound well before the Cherokee written language was developed. In the 1970s, a scholar of Near Eastern cultures and ancient languages, Cyrus H. Gordon, re-examined the tablet and proposed the inscription represented Paleo-Hebrew of the first or second century. The first or second century. Cyrus Gordon. It's interesting because I think, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I think ancient Hebrew was a language that was intended to be chiseled into things. Like, and that's why it developed in a certain way that it did. And there's things about the Hebrew language where it's like, I think it, what is it? Either they don't have any vowels or something, or it's like, there's no E. Oh, I don't know. Or it's like certain words have gotten combined into like one symbol and character so they didn't have to fucking chisel so much shit. Yeah, that could be. I don't know. I don't know uh, much about the Hebrew language. But it would give credence to this because they chiseled it into a fucking rock. Right. Right. That's what they knew how to do. That's yeah. They chiseled it into a rock. So Cyrus Gordon concluded that the, you know, leader of the excavation at the site, Cyrus Thomas, two Cyruses here, uh, that Cyrus Thomas had been viewing the inscription, quote unquote, upside down in a real cartoony. Don't you see the fucking this side up message that they probably left? Such a fucking stupid idiot, Cyrus Thomas. And so when you reread in its proper orientation, the inscription represented what Cyrus Gordon called ancient Hebrew. He asserted that the inscription, quote, could be translated as some variation of for the Jews, end quote. 
So the use of the stone as evidence for pre-Columbian transatlantic contact theories was exacerbated in 1988. And this is just for me to add this in by J. Houston McCullough, economics professor at Ohio State University. Ah, Christ. So McCullough mostly agreed with Gordon's assessment and expressed, quote, my own conviction is that the Bat Creek inscription is a rustic and therefore imperfect specimen of Paleo-Hebrew, end quote. Uh, McCullough went on to claim, quote, it does not by itself indicate anything more than a minimal contact with the New World by a few Hebrew sailors, end quote. So a similar type of situation to the Bat Creek inscription is a rock uh, found in Los Lunas in New Mexico, which is called the Los Lunas Decalogue. Um, which a Decalogue, the Decalogue is basically the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Um, a stone which was supposedly found in about 1933 by University of New Mexico archaeologist and professor Frank Hibben. According to a 1996 interview, Hibben was convinced the inscription is ancient and thus authentic. When he saw it in 1933, he said it was covered with lichen and patination and was hardly visible. He claimed he was taken to the site by a guide who said he had seen it as a boy in the 1880s. Now, comparing it to a modern inscription nearby, geologist George E. Morehouse estimated the inscription could be between 500 and 2,000 years old. Welcome back, Cyrus Gordon. Cyrus Gordon, you remember him from just the Bat Creek inscription, uh, has proposed that the Los Lunas Decalogue is a Samaritan mezuzah. Your typical mezuzah is a small scroll in a container and hung around the door of a house. But ancient Samaritan mezuzahs, wow, these things were big. They were stones put by the gateway of a residence or synagogue and inscribed with a shortened version of the Ten Commandments, a Decalogue. The Samaritan alphabet is descended from the Paleo-Hebrew alphabet. So despite how cool these rocks are, many people think they're fakes. They're not real. They're not authentic. They're just trying to get your rocks off on this right. one. They just want you to get your rocks off here. I've never seen a language like this before, and I'm no fucking language expert. <laughs> resident of, resident lang- linguist art. It's just wild. It's kind of it's crazy, man. Yeah, it's Cyrillic in some capacities, but uh, yeah, there's some sort of um, connection I think between the Phoenician script, um, which is like a Canaanite type of language, and then what yeah. eventually became the Paleo Hebrew. So. Uh, People think these are fakes. With respect to the Bat Creek inscription, archaeologists Robert Mainfort and Mary Quas concluded the inscription is not genuine Paleo-Hebrew, but rather a 19th century forgery, claiming the inscription was most likely copied from the General History Cyclopedia and Dictionary of Freemasonry. The fucking Freemasons, son of a bitch, printed this alphabet in their goddamn book, this inscription, and somebody copied it onto a rock. I don't know. You got to think that something that old would look a lot more weathered. I mean, obviously people have touched it up, right? Maybe. I don't know. This is like, you could fucking, you can really read this. Which one are you looking at? Bat Creek or Los Lunas? Los Lunas. Yeah. The Los Lunas thing, it's so big. They've never protected it or taken it to a museum. So it just sits outside all the time. So now people come and touch it and stuff. So the smooth surface is because. It's not that fucking big. The smooth surface is just because it's been like. People just keep touching it. They keep rubbing it. It's fucking yeah. Yeah, that guy rubbing the fucking stone. <laughs> I mean, but it's like so. It's so clear. Yeah. You can like read a bunch big parts of it. You know. Yeah. I don't know. So just as we were talking about, 
the Los Lunas Decalogue is a big fucking rock. So these ancient Hebrews, well, they weren't dragging it around though. Is what I'm trying getting at here. Yes, ancient Hebrews weren't dragging it around. Right, you had to have you had to have carved it there. So it's also very far west from the coast where it's not that big. Okay, it's not that impressive. Okay, fine. <laughs> it's not a big fucking rock, but they weren't carrying. They weren't dragging the goddamn rock around. Is my point. <laughs> <laughs> These fucking seafaring Jews were not dragging this rock across the whole continent. Is my point. <laughs> Will you fucking get over how big the rock is and just pay attention? Fuck. Yes, Professor Hart. <laughs> so they would have landed on the East Coast. Uh, this thing was found in New Mexico. They're not dragging the goddamn rock across the whole You brought that up. Continent. They're not dragging it across the continent. So how the fuck did it get there? So these Jewish sailors who arrived on the East Coast, to get to New Mexico, right, they're going to have to do things like live their lives and make camp and sleep and use items that they've brought with them. Despite all of that, there's no archaeological evidence supporting this anywhere along the way. Yeah. They've never uncovered any evidence of a ancient Hebrew camp anywhere, not even around the site where the rock is found. So skeptics also point out that in the inscription on the Decalogue, there are some grammatical mistakes. There's some, <laughs> there's some mixing of ancient Hebrew, Paleo-Hebrew, and more modern Hebrew usage. Um, so it's not totally perfect in that sense, mm. but beyond these rocks, there are some who think that American Indians themselves are descended from the 10 lost tribes of Israel. Heard this one before. We've brought this up before. I think in our hollow earth episode is where we talked about this. But, um, if you're not familiar with the 10 lost tribes, let me explain. So when the Hebrews made their exodus from Egypt, they numbered 12 different tribes, after Moses died and Joshua led the tribes into Canaan, if you'll recall, God only allowed Moses to lead the Hebrews to Canaan, but Moses was not allowed to enter the promised land. Yeah, because he took a peek at those big honking stones. Right. God's big old stones. Yeah, he saw. took a peek at God's big old stones and then he wasn't allowed to go in anymore. <laughs> yeah. Was that it? He saw God's decalogue, if you yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was watching God drop a little decalogue. No, I think that Moses got punished because of the water. The people doing the bullshit while he was up there on the mountain. No, 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 no. It wasn't that. Uh, I don't remember. Wasn't it his brother Aaron who led them in? Ah, oh, fuck. But anyway, Moses wasn't Moses. allowed to go into the promised land. He wasn't allowed. He was too. He was. He he wasn't tall enough to ride. So Moses couldn't get in. Right? He wasn't tall enough to ride. So the twelve tribes take possession of Canaan. Joshua gets to be the leader of the tribes yeah. when they enter Canaan. And so he set up for each of the tribes their own portion of land. He gets to dole out the land. Eventually, the tribes formed independent kingdoms. The tribes of Judah and Benjamin formed the kingdom of Judah. And the tribes of Asher, Dan, Ephraim, Gad, Issachar, Manasseh, Naphtali, Reuben, Simeon, and Zebulun all formed the kingdom of Israel. Yep. Israel eventually was conquered by the Assyrians. And the 10 tribes that made up the kingdom of Israel were absorbed into Assyrian peoples and vanished from history. Or did they? Or did they? Since at least the 1600s, some people have made the claim that Native Americans were descended from the 10 tribes, with some even suggesting, which I think is funny, that New World indigenous peoples were Jewish. With, with one scholar writing that, they're going to have a tough time converting them to Christianity because they're Jewish. 
<laughs> I just don't know how they arrived at this conclusion. Right. right. Well, obviously they're Jewish. <laughs> I've never seen them eat pork. Yeah. Pigs don't even exist here. <laughs> you see them walk around getting into like curb your enthusiasm like situations. <laughs> yeah. This is Palestinian chicken place. <laughs> And you can tell they're real conflicted when they eat there. <laughs> so anyway, um, the Book of Mormon, the oh, actual yeah. religious book, not yep. the musical, also suggests that American Indians are part of the Lost Tribes. That's part yep. of the Book of Mormon. All right. So that's that's ancient Hebrews. So we've covered a lot of places at this point, right? Let's come back just to Europeans in general. Let's talk about Europeans again. Let's talk about Europeans. We already know that Columbus wasn't the first European to make it to the Americas. We know Norse people did, right? But is it possible that Europeans were flooding the shores of the Americas and Columbus just managed to get all the credit? Take, for example, the Solutrean hypothesis, which posits that Europeans migrated to the New World during the Paleolithic era around 16,000 to 13,000 BC. So this would have been after the timing of the land bridge, right? Holy shit. So this hypothesis proposes contact partly on the basis of perceived similarities between the flint tools of the Salutrian culture in modern-day France, Spain, and Portugal, which was active around 20,000 to 15,000 BC. Okay. Uh, and the Clovis culture of North America, which developed around 9,000 BC. Important to note here, not a lot of egghead support for this hypothesis because there's not a good genetic link to help make right. the connection. Again, a lot of these have been, these trickly ones have just been like, hey, this thing looks kind of similar to this thing. Right. What do you think about that? It's um, like, I don't... I don't know. And by this point, there was good genetic separation between the people of Europe and the people of Asia. They were in genetically distinct communities at this point. So yes. the people that migrated across the land bridge have different genetics than the people who were living in Western Europe at that yeah. point. All right. So I'm just throwing that out there. But let's finish with my favorite hypothesis of all. Hell yeah. That ancient Egyptians made contact and did trade with the New World. And do you know why this is my favorite art? Because um, you love papyrus? I do love papyrus, the card store. <laughs> but I love this because of how it was discovered and what people are, the implications of the discovery. Because of the implication. Because of the implication. <laughs> so this was first suggested after German toxicologist Svetlana Balabanova claimed to find traces of cocaine and nicotine <laughs> on the hair of the mummy of Egyptian priestess Henetui <laughs> and some other mummies at the museum where she was working. So essentially what we're dealing with here are coke-snorting, cig-smoking mummies. <laughs> These mummies like to party, These baby. mummies like to party. Yeah. <laughs> These findings, of course, are very interesting because... These are preserved mummies, right? Ancient Egyptian mummies. Coca and tobacco are new world plants. Big time. Um, Balabanova personally didn't seem to really believe her own hypothesis. Um, instead, suggesting that other species of the plants may have developed in the old world and since gone extinct. She just also didn't believe it because she herself uh, was abusing cocaine and right. smoking lots of cigarettes at the time. <laughs> and of course, other archaeologists have said... <laughs> 
it's probably much more likely that this is a modern day contamination because by this point, Egyptian mummies have been passed around oh, so yeah. much. We that, covered that in Art of the Queen as a Cannibal. Right. Or in the- They were uh, fucking throwing out mummies left and right, baby. They're Pokemon cards. Yeah. Or the- uh, Yeah. yeah Killing the, in antiquities. The what? Like corpse medicine episode? Corpse medicine. Yeah. So mummies have been all, all over the place and with- Limited ability to understand the provenance of where they've. Come I think from. the Venn diagram of people who abuse cocaine and people <laughs> who want to buy an actual mummy is very much linked. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's like a coked out thing to do. But still, my favorite hypothesis <laughs> that, by far. That's a good one. Mummies, ancient Egyptians snorting coke and smoking cigarettes. <laughs> Bunk funkers, at this point in history, we pretty much know how big the world is. And we know a lot about the people who live in it. That said, there's still a lot we don't know and a lot more to discover. As we look back into the past, the mists of time obscure our understanding of our ancestors mists. and their lives and times. The mists of time. What's he saying? Seahole? <laughs> understanding events before the advent of written history is especially complicated. Thank goodness there are curious people who always want to learn more. In many ways, the age of discovery never ended. And we should all keep up that spirit of excitement to learn more about our world and other people. We should all be open to new experiences or experiences that are familiar, but continue to find new ways to make you feel uncomfortable. Like, oh, I don't know, consuming the whole enchilada. <laughs> Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time podcast will be right back after this brief message. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the facts from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! Welcome back to Mr. Bunker's Conspiracy Time Podcast. That was my research into the pre-Columbian contact hypotheses. Art, I'd like to start with any blanket thoughts here? Here's, so, actually, yes. I think people get really caught up in topics like this with this word, well, he discovered it. <laughs> like, well, what is that? What do you mean he discovered it? Because... What what do we like? Oh, he like from whose perspective, right? Like you know, it's kind of like okay, yeah. He feels that from the European perspective, he discovered it, Columbus. Mm-hmm. But it's like you go ask the fucking Vikings. Well, they discovered it. But it's like okay, but then there's people living there. Yeah. They discovered it. It's like this whole thing of discovery. It's like, well, it's like from their perspective, you know? Yeah. No one's really discovering stuff. I mean, I don't know. It's just visited we should just talk about who visited it yeah this whole thing of like discovery feels like it's like they uncovered some fucking thing antarctica feels discovered because there was nobody living there and it was just an idea people people thought that maybe there's something down there and then finally someone did discover it and like they're like holy fuck there is something down here there's but there's no people you know it's like i don't know maybe i'm getting too semantic with it i don't fucking know what do you think about this whole thing of discovery. Well, oh, he discovered the Americas. It's interesting because Columbus he visited there. Columbus didn't think he discovered anything really at yeah. first. He thought only thing he discovered was a new route because he was trying to get to the Indies. Yeah, he thought that he had arrived in the East Indies, um, and so he sailed, you know, across the Atlantic because his belief was that. He thought that there were a lot of wrong calculations about the size of the earth and stuff. And so he thought that this journey would not be very long for him to get to the Indies, even though it's an incredibly long journey. If you take out the North and South American landmass and it's just ocean there, that's like, I mean, that's like most of the globe that you have to sail across. Say what you will about Columbus, but, uh, you know, you got to admire the balls on the guy. (laughs) There's a, uh, I mean, there's a. Every episode of The Sopranos is great, but one of the episodes of The Sopranos deals specifically with Columbus because, uh-huh. uh, you know, obviously Italians feel right. very strongly about Columbus because he was Italian. Right. And so Columbus Day, I guess, is a Italian holiday. Yeah. What's the deal with Columbus Day? You never celebrated it. You're kind of Italian. You're supposed to wear red, I guess. How do you feel about Columbus? I don't feel anything about Columbus. Okay. <laughs> I mean, because a lot of Italian Americans they take that very seriously. Yeah, sure, but they're also like big time fucking like Guidos. So, well, it's like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I just it's one of those things that I really, <laughs> as a kid, yeah, and I'm coming from absolutely no Italian heritage. I didn't grow up with like yeah Italian people. Your idea of spaghetti sauce was like ketchup. It was ketchup, and you put garlic powder in it, and that's my idea of spaghetti sauce. And the spaghetti, <laughs> okay. It was just really thin strands of pork. So <laughs> the the uh, I just never I didn't I never had this like Italian American heritage thing. And then no. Columbus Day was just a day off of school for me. That's uh, that's what I liked about Columbus Day too. And, but and then I come to Chicago and it's like there's a parade. There is. They have a parade. In I the wasn't loop. even aware. Um, and you know people take it very seriously. Like 
I didn't grow up. I mean, I grew up in an Italian American household, but I, I don't know. I feel like there's a lot of like, how to put it? Like my, my Italian family was like not removed from Italy. They were, they were the first generation. Right. So all my aunts and uncles and like that side of the family were like straight up from Italy. Like, Mm -hmm. So they, I feel like from them, when they came over here, and this is like a very, you know, I think a lot of immigrant uh, people who grew up from immigrant families, you know, it's kind of a funny thing where it's like, there is a little bit of them wanting to have that pride, but also like they came to America because they wanted to get the fuck out of Italy. Right. Because it was fucked up. So they were like very like, we're American, like America rules. We're going to fucking eat hamburgers and this is great. We have stuff and there's a house and we can make money. So um, I, I don't know. There wasn't. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Columbus. Columbus Day was not a big fucking deal. And now obviously you go fucking now and everyone's like, fuck Columbus. That guy was a fucking piece of shit. And you know, it's and there's more famous Italians. There's much that, better Italians. To there's much better Italians to, your wagon to, to create a fucking holiday around right you know and it is interesting because he did it for the spanish he didn't do it for italy yeah italy didn't reap the rewards the spanish did i mean the italians literally didn't earn anything off of this because italians didn't even have a colonial empire until they started colonizing north africa right so i also think that learning a little bit about columbus you kind of find out that he sort of sucked at what he was being asked to do. Anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he just got lucky, basically. A lot of people focus on what a huge piece of shit he was, but it's like <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> That's fair, but also like you pretty much look at anybody at any time at any point in history, and like they're all fucking pieces right. of shit. He was he not was, not saying it's not a bad thing, but it's like. That's not that shouldn't be your main argument. I do want to point out that your main argument is that he was actually bad at it. I do I do want to say that <laughs> I think that you're right. We oftentimes do look back at historical figures and we talk about what a piece of shit they were. And in their context, they maybe weren't as big a piece of shit as they seem in our current historical context. Yeah, they still are pieces of shit. They're pieces of shit. We don't want to like <laughs> disavow how much of a piece of shit Christopher Columbus was. Sure. The thing about Columbus is that he was a piece of shit even in his own time. Right. Because he went on trial for being a shitty governor yeah. and abusing everybody that he like worked with. So yeah, yeah, yeah. like he was, he was, he was shitty enough that even though he opened the doors for the Spanish kingdom to like, you know, rape the Americas for gold. Right. Uh, they still put him on trial for being a piece of shit. Yeah. So he was I pretty mean, shitty. And also you have to understand. It's like, I feel like part of it is just the marketing, right? Like it's like, yeah, Columbus, just had better marketing. Yeah. It was he he discovered, quote unquote, visited it at a time where you had uh, a stronger flow of information. Yeah. It was more readily available. Whereas the Polynesians, there was no fucking no one was writing any shit down, you know? Right. So um Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Plus they were much earlier. In so much it. earlier, on the other side of the fucking country, it's a big right. fucking continent. It it's is huge. It's very large. Fucking massive. Yeah, you could you could have a bunch of, you know, maybe in an alternative multiverse timeline, someone from Asia discovers it on the west coast, and someone from Europe or Africa discovers it on the east coast, and they would never fucking meet for like five hundred years. Yeah, and then and then maybe in that multiverse, there's a war that takes place there. 
between those two nations because they both think they fucking conquered this land first. Well, and what's interesting is that I looked at a map about the basically the it's showing the timeline of human migration. Like if you believe the out of Africa hypothesis of human um, genetic development, that basically human beings as we know them today developed in Africa and then spread outward. Yeah. Um, That that timing from when people crossed the land bridge to when they finally start showing up in South America, there's like multiple thousands of years. Yeah, between imagine that. the migration. Like that it has just to goes so place. slow. Like you got fucking like all the animals and diseases and shit, just fucking killing people yeah. probably by the fucking thousands. And they're just trying to like migrate their way down and establish culture. You have, you probably have little pockets of people who are like, Hey, we're going to stay here. Yeah. And then the people are like, are you fucking, you're going to stay here? And they're yeah. like, yeah. And then they're like, oh yeah, we're going to keep going. And they're like, all right. Yeah. And then a thousand years goes by. <laughs> well, yeah. And it's because, you know, it's like, it's not like human populations were as huge as they are today. Right. So, you know, humans aren't like reproducting machines like some other animals are. Yeah. Like the fucking rabbits that keep ravaging my goddamn backyard and oh, won't no. fucking go away. Touched a nerve. You did. Fuck. Because some of us here on this podcast were out in their yards sprinkling fox urine all over the place, and they still can smell it in their fingers, and it's driving them nuts. Wow. You don't want to know what he had to go through to get that fox urine either. I had to milk so many fucking fox bladders. (laughs) See, the thing is, you got to capture the fox. Yeah. You gotta hold on to I'd its drink, genitals. And I give it a bunch of Mountain Dew. And then you gotta show it all these video clips of waterfalls. Yeah. I put its little fox paw in some warm water while it sleeps. And yeah. then I just just have to hold my mouth under the fox penis. Right. Clicked it in my mouth. Right. Some people are saying, why don't you just use a cup? I'm saying didn't have one near me. I was using it for the water. Right. Just, he's only got one cup, bugfuckers. Give him a break. <laughs> He's doing the best he can. Yes, humans aren't like rabbits. We're not reproducing like crazy. We're not fucking up your yard. Not no, they're not as far as I know. Yeah. Um but it it just the the it's a very slow pace of human migration. Yeah. across this continent. So, it's very very possible to me that, you know, especially one thing that I found interesting Doing the research, one thing I found very interesting is that the Bat Creek inscription yeah. was initially suspected to be Cherokee script, but they were saying, well, if this was really found in this mound, and the mound is as old as we think it is, then the script can't be Cherokee because this was before the Cherokee had a written language. It's like the Cherokee the Cherokee written language wasn't developed until like the 19th century. So it's just all oral tradition. So I agree with your point that like, Oral tradition so much harder to pass down. Yeah. Because then you have to know somebody who can tell you that story. Right. Whereas when it's written, as long as you can read the language, you can absorb that if you have access right. to where it was written. Right. And and like, you know, and I think TJ talked about this when he guessed it with us. It's like you start going back through history and it's just like it gets so fucking murky. Yeah. About like all this stuff where it's just like even the thing with the ancient Hebrews, right? And the twelve tribes of Israel, it's like it's like, okay, so they went into Canaan and they took that over. But then it's like, who owned Canaan? You know, who owned that land before them and yeah. before them and before them? <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? It's just like, and then there's this whole thing and it's just like 
over and over and over again, it's just like land just keeps getting fucking taken over and yeah. lost and taken over and lost, taken over and lost. And you ask like one culture and this culture and they feel like they own it. But then it's like, dude, it's just like at the end of the day, I'm just like, I don't really who fucking cares who discovered it. Yeah. I mean, I, to me, when I look back at this, the only thing that and, you know, this is probably part of my verdict is just like, what's the thing that I feel like is it's like, OK, the Vikings and the Polynesians. To me, I feel like there is like really strong evidence that they were there hanging around. But it's not like they, you know, it's not like the Polynesians went there and like fucking like trap, like Lewis and Clark style fucking travel. They probably just just hung out with some of the coastal civilizations of those areas. And that's it. Yeah. You know, I mean, they fucked around, but then then what then what do you have? You have this like mix of culture. And it's almost like you're, you know, it's like a new people. And it's like, did they, what did they discover? Right. You know? Mm, yeah. You're mixing and blending shit all over the place. Passing yeah. sperm. Yeah. Know? It is interesting to me that I think a lot of people see it as the new world was completely cut off from the old world until Columbus. Right. Because it just doesn't seem to make sense in a lot of ways. Because we obviously know that Vikings, Norse people, Already set up a colony, you know. But there's so much to the Americas. Yeah. Like, nobody was in Kansas. <laughs> except the Native Americans. Right. <laughs> yeah. So they were just like on these little, little islands or little areas on the coasts. And it's like, you know, this idea that it's like, well, he discovered America. It's like, dude, there's some days where fucking, you know, the Carolinas feel nothing like how fucking South Dakota feels. They're so different. Yeah. You know, and, and in some worlds and in some ways, you know, like I'm just talking about North America too. It's like you look at like South America and like there's totally different things between some of these areas. Well, and Columbus was mostly spending his time in the Caribbean. And he's in the Caribbean. Yeah. Which is different still. Which if you asked people, you took a fucking... Uh, What's it called? Family feud survey of like a hundred people. Would they consider the Caribbean part of the Americas? Yeah. I don't know if they'd say yes. Yeah. A lot of people probably wouldn't think about them. Well, and it's like, you know, talking about geographic disparity. Yeah. The Caribbean's a lot different than Canada. Yeah. Like if you go to the islands off the coast of Canada, it's much different than the the Caribbean. As far as geography and agriculture, temperature, yeah. fucking topology, like all this shit. Everything's different. It's so different. And so to like say like, and we're using like modern maps too to like say this stuff where it's like, well, you discovered the Americas. It's like, not really. Yeah. He visited the fucking modern day Caribbean. Yeah. That's what it should be. Not discovered the Americas. Yeah. You I don't know. know I, that rhyme... Whoever the fuck came up with that rhyme is a great marketer. Yeah. 1992, he sailed the ocean blue, discovered America, and yeah. Took a poo. Took a poo. So (laughs) whatever that fucking rhyme is. Yeah, I guess Columbus does have good marketing. It's great marketing. That's all it is, man. Yeah. You just got to market shit the right way. Yeah. Poor Amerigo Vespucci. Amerigo Vespucci. He gets, he's getting, they named it after him, but how many people talk about him? Nobody. Nobody gives a shit about Amerigo Vespucci. But I Vasco mean, da Gama. a lot of this stuff too is so Magellan. Magellan. Well, he had those um, series of 
car maps named after him for a little while. So that was pretty fucking cool. <laughs> well, that's true. Magellan and TomTom. Yeah. Until the fucking iPhone made the entire industry obsolete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Google Maps. Um, a lot. Of, so much of that evidence, too, is like, hey, these guys, we found this ancient piece of pottery. Kind of looks like that piece of pottery, wouldn't you say? It's like, I don't fuck it. I mean, maybe. Sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. At least with the Polynesians and the Norse, uh, the Vikings, it's like we have some pretty damn good evidence. Yeah. Of like, okay, well, they got these sweet potatoes and like they're genetically, there's like, it's linked. Um, The Norse, it's like, it's it's just established because there was a colony and yeah. there's good archaeological Evidence that the colony existed when people think that it did. And, you know, it matches with Norse records yeah, of what they were doing. So it's like, yeah, obviously Columbus really didn't discover. But like you said, he didn't visit that part of, he didn't visit Newfoundland. Right. You know, so it's like, you can't really necessarily say he discovered Newfoundland, but he just didn't visit it. Right. I would rather they said visit. He visited it. Arrived at. He arrived. He sailed there. He yeah. didn't discover it. Like, people yeah. were already there. But it's also like the Polynesians didn't know about that either. So yeah. you can't say like, yeah. oh, well, it was actually the Polynesians who discovered it. It's like, no, they visited a different part that's on the other side of the fucking whatever it is. The hemi- It's not the hemisphere. It's the just the landmass. The landmass. Because that's the thing is this is a very long landmass too. Yes. You know, it's like. In Eurasia with Africa there too, you know, before the Suez Canal and the same thing with before Panama, you had to go a long way around. Oh my God. If you want to say like Portuguese sailors, they were sailing a long way around because massive. they're going around the southern tip of Africa and sailing into the Indian Ocean that way. Yeah. And it's the same thing here. Like people that sailed around the South American landmass had to go all the way around the southern tip of the South American landmass, which is to get a, to the Pacific. It's it's just insane. Yeah. So uh, now it's like you know Polynesians. That would have been a really fucking long trip. Yeah. <laughs> I mean Polynesians were really good at sailing. There's yeah. no question. Right. They could have done it, but it's just like it's one of those questions of why would you? You sort of found it, right? Like yeah. You come in, it's like oh well, this is land here now, and there's people that live here, and then it's like that's it. They learned about those people. I mean, that's the, that's the thing too. And it, it's like, if you just look at even like North America, if things went different throughout history, I mean, you could even say that there's like three different fucking countries within North America. Like, like it's like, it's not even just Mexico. I would say there's more than three countries in North America. What I'm trying to say is I meant like the United States, like, oh. like the way, like even our, like our landmass and our topography, it's just everything. It's like, they're so varied and so different that even the peoples who settled here, the Native Americans, yeah, are so varied and so different in many different ways and have different pieces of culture and different things they valued and different ideas of how the world worked and didn't know about each other. Like it's like that fucking huge. So yeah. um I don't know. I want to say this during the discussion, because it doesn't really relate to the research, but I read this during the research and I think it's very interesting. And I left the link in the show notes. So if you want to read it, you can read it too. But uh, there's a, uh, a author who wrote a book called 1491, 
Um, and it's there's a subtitle that I don't remember, but it's basically about like what were the Americas like before Columbus? Yeah. And this book puts forward a lot of the more modern research into the topic. A lot of historical sources talk about the new world as being very sparsely populated, that Europeans were basically like moving into these deserted areas where there were just no people and they had all these this space to move around and they eventually come into conflict with native people who live there. Well, what this book is sort of saying is that the Americas were much more populated than they ever get credit for mm. that. There were actually huge populations and there's probably more people living in North and South America than was living in Eurasia at the same time mm. because of just how populous these areas were that how big yeah that you know american indians lived in very yeah uh highly advanced societies very mm -hmm. structured societies yeah just they were they were very advanced people just in different ways than europeans so europeans arrive here and they see things that are different than they are in europe and they immediately think that these people are very primitive right but like the point that arthur makes in the in the interview i was reading is that it's things like they they didn't see steel. Like the Inca Empire, very advanced. Yeah. Probably the most advanced empire of its time. Right. They had a whole bunch of crazy shit. It collapsed really fast because there were a lot of there was a lot of like administrative rot in the empire and other channels. And I think we we've talked maybe in the past episodes about like they over farmed their land. Right. Like they just fucked the ground. They had a lot of challenges yeah. that were unrelated to the Europeans. Around. Right. And then they were just like, well, fuck. And then it just sort of collapses under its own weight. Right. But it was very advanced for its time. But the Spanish show up and they go, these fucking idiots, they don't even have steel. Right. Like how fucking this stupid. But they're like very advanced in metallurgy. It's just that they didn't value steel the same way that Europeans did. They didn't have, that's not where their culture took them mm -hmm. was to steal, but it took them to all these advanced techniques for like changing the metal. And they're like very, I guess, concerned with the like strands of metal, like tightly woven strands of metal, as opposed to like really hardened sheets of metal, which is what Europeans got interested in. And who knows what goes into influence that? Is it the geography? Is it, you know, uh, I don't know. Maybe like, like I think I'm just throwing this out here spitball and it's like, well, in Europe, it's a lot colder and, and, and rainier and stuff. So maybe it's like that kind of hardened shit was more necessary, but that wouldn't make sense in South America where it's hot as fuck. Well, yeah, you that's know? one of the things is that, um, you know, indigenous people are wearing like tightly woven cotton armor, right? They're warriors because it's, you need that yeah. in the jungle. Right. Whereas the, Europeans come in and they're wearing these like steel armor. Right. Well, after they get in the jungle, all the Europeans are throwing their steel armor yeah. away because they're fucking dying from the heat. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> the, the cotton armor that the like native people are wearing yeah. is just as protective as something else because they weave these strands right. so tight together. It's what Kevlar is. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's like the same, it's like that, but ancient, it's like ancient Kevlar. Yeah. And so, you know, event it's like the steel advantage, this advantage that supposedly Europeans had, oh, this super advanced technology over the local people. It's like it just didn't matter that much. It's at the end of the day. Yeah, it was germs. <laughs> it, was, it was disease. Yeah, was that's germs. why that's why the population was really huge. So these were big, big cities like 
you think about uh, Tenochtitlan. Yeah. Like the probably the biggest city in the world yeah. at the time. If somebody gets sick with a new disease. Look at what happened with fucking COVID. COVID. It's the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> so Europeans show up and they start bringing diseases even when they're not trying. Fucking assholes like you start yeah. fucking spreading shit like you did to me. Yeah, even when, even when it's not people like me who are actively trying to do it when yeah. it's just an accident, but it spreads like wildfire. Yeah. So it's like Europeans live, try to like make headway in these communities, like people fleeing persecution from Europe. But there's nowhere for them to go. These there's so many people, and this there's towns everywhere, and the societies are so developed. They can't go anywhere. The but Incas then people start had, to get sick. Had fucking like there were like other non-Incan native peoples who had their own towns and villages who would be at war with the fucking Incas or yeah. the Mayans or the fucking Aztecs. Like there was so many fucking people. It's it's a very <laughs> a very complex society. Yeah, all across the you know, South and North America, like central South yeah. North America. They had their own like internal conflict and, and, and there were oppressors and fucking like mm-hmm. other, you know, it's like, it's fucking crazy. And unfortunately, like a lot of it, I don't know how much we have of that. Cause it is fucking fascinating. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. I think it's just like, and, and you even think about it in like, you, you modernize it, like go even to, um, when we were talking on the Patreon about the dude who inspired the Revenant, mm-hmm. you know, you've got all these frontiersmen, frontiersmen, and the fucking Native Americans are slicing and dicing these motherfuckers up left and right. Yeah, doesn't matter that they don't have guns. Yeah, they're fucking shooting arrows at you and burning your ships and fucking you over. Like it's yeah. like, it's not like they were like you know super primitive. They just yeah, you're right. They just had different things. Yeah, and eventually they get overwhelmed. Right. Yes. Like, yes. like Europeans overwhelmed them because yes. disease, very overwhelmed. disease starts to set in. So in the 1491 book, the author's talking about these situations like in New England. It's like a handicap. It's like, what are yeah. you supposed to do? You can't fight it. They you don't can't have, fight it. They don't have the, the, the. And one side is immune to it and one side isn't. Right. So. And there's no, this is before immunization. So right. nobody's getting vaccinated against anything. Right. So Europeans spread disease even without trying. Native populations just start dying in these communities. And then essentially Europeans then see an opening. all their shit. And so they just move in to where it's like, oh, wow, look at all this. We we discovered this deserted village. But it's because the disease moved faster than the people. Right. And so they're coming across towns that were, you know, where just everybody died or they moved because there was just disease everywhere. Yeah. And so then they're like, oh, look, this deserted village. This must be like an ancient. People haven't lived here for years, but it's like. And they write in their history books. Right. We discovered this ancient village. But right. it's like in reality. It's like, no, those people you, were alive you, yeah, you six did months it. ago. You they're dead. You yeah. can see their bones. <laughs> you, you don't eat the bones. Don't eat them. They're poison. And so then, you know, eventually the populations start to suffer and Europeans just keep coming and they just keep, they settle, they make settlements, they build cities. And whatever, and then they just keep producing. And so eventually it just gets overwhelming. That's it, man. That's history. We fucking solved it. Yeah. Congratulations, Eggheads. Congratulations, Eggheads. You could have just written down, people fucking suck, and that could have been the end of it. (laughs) No, I mean, that is like human history in a nutshell. It's like people move in, you know, wipe out the people who were there. For one reason or another, take over the land. It's ours now. They write down in their history. We it's this is mine. Yeah. 
That is like human nature in and of it. Like that is just throughout history. Like yeah. cultures just doing that shit. And I and I'll you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stand up for the eggheads for one second here. I don't like that. And just say that I appreciate the more realistic picture of history that we get with more research. Yeah. That, you know, it's not just as simple as the people who won would have you believe. Right. Like it's nice to have this more nuanced look at the past. So any of these uh, alternative contact hypotheses getting your dick hard, dude? I don't know. We should get into verdicts here. Wow. Um, because that's what we have to decide. We have to decide it, yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, here's the thing for me. Um, I... I'm going to go, obviously, case confirmed for the Polynesians and case confirmed for the fucking Vikings. Yeah. I mean, I think that's obvious. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't know about all this stuff about the Phoenicians and the Arabia and, and you know, the Middle East and Africa sailing over there. And I mean, maybe Africa, but... I don't know, man. It's just a lot because it's just kind of stories, right? We don't really have like a ton strong evidence. No. It's just stories. You know, like Mansa Musa's story, it may or may not be true. Yeah. Historians don't even totally agree on who the predecessor Mansa was yeah. that he's talking about. So Musa's maybe only telling this story to... Who knows? Like, he as just, far as anybody knows, maybe maybe he assassinated his predecessor, right? Or had his his predecessor assassinated, and this is a story that they tell to legitimize his kingship. Sure, because now he can rule without yeah. fear of anybody changing the claim. Because it's like, oh no, he he, he gathered two thousand ships and sailed away forever. History would have been the greatest time to be a grifter. You could just make shit up, yeah, and just be like. I'm a king now, and people are like, fuck, he's right. I mean, that checks out. Let's be honest, it's still a great time to be a grifter because <laughs> that's true. Any two people can start a podcast <laughs> and just go to patreon.com and set up any sort of thing. I mean, for example, you could do something like patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bunker Pod, and yeah. people will just pay you money yeah. and you don't really do anything. Oh my God. I'm going to go with just. I'm just going to stick with my bros, the, the fucking Polynesians, and my bros, the Vikings. I'm just going to go case confirmed for them. Everything else, I'm giving a plausible minus. Oh, okay. Uh, and some lower than others, but I don't want to go through every single one. That's going to take away too fucking long. Yeah, they were a lot. But I mean, it's, it's again, I, I take umbrage with this idea of discovery and whatever, but, um, you know, I, I think that, um, I definitely think the Polynesians deserve a little bit more credit because they were... Uh, sucking and fucking across South America and having sweet, sweet potatoes. Right. You know? They wined them, dined them, 69 them. They did. They did. They were like, look at us fucking sailing. And the, those South Americans were like, holy fuck. Holy fuck. Fucking slishing and sloshing. <laughs> you steering that boat with your dong? Yeah. <laughs> That's like, me, a South American. Hey, it's me, South America. I'm hard as fuck at you sailing that ship. Oh, God. Why don't you come over on the coast and we'll fuck on a bed of sweet potatoes. And chicken I'll, bones. I'll make love to you harder than, sweeter than sweet potato pie. The thing I invented. 
Look, here's this sexual implement I made from chicken bones. <laughs> this is a chicken bone dildo. Shove it up my <laughs> South American pussy. Dildo. <laughs> That's right. I am a woman. <laughs> That's right. It's me. Malice penis. You want to have some sex, Polynesians? <laughs> I sure do. <laughs> <laughs> Malice penis. <laughs> I mean, everything else is just, I mean, you know, the Chinese stuff with the jade and the Olmec. I mean, but then it's like, it's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like I can sit here and pass judgment on stuff. Cause it's like, you know, people who are very tied to, um, Mesoamerican and like ancient, uh, South American history. And they feel part of that heritage. And especially people who, feel a strong connection and have a strong genetic connection and lineage to actually native South Americans probably look at that and they're like, fuck you. That's my whole fucking history and my whole fucking identity and shit. And like, you're going to fucking tell me it came, which even if it is true or not true, you know, I mean, who are we to fucking say? Like, it's like, I mean, and who are they to say if it is true, then maybe they should be like, well, okay, that's fine. They influenced us, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it's kind of like this thing where we keep going like China visited there and discovered it and gave them everything that they ever needed. Yeah. Ha ha ha. It's like, come on, dude. Yeah. It's much more complicated than that. And I think honestly, the, That's why I like the Polynesians, the Colombian, um, uh, what do I want to say? Colombian exchange. Yeah. That happened in the wake of Columbus's visitation to the Americas really underscores that because you know, I talk about this all the time on this show. Tomatoes. How interesting I think the tomato is. Yep. The fact that this is this is a new world crop. Especially Bob the tomato. Bob the tomato. He is something very interesting. Other. I mean, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> if you've ever seen Bob the tomato's ass, it is so red and so juicy. We would both eat out Bob the tomato, that's true. That's no question about it. <laughs> Seeds and all. I want him spraying tomato <laughs> juice into my mouth. Does he come ketchup? I don't know. <laughs> Veggie Tales creators who listen to the show, let us know. I guess if he's eaten a lot of vinegary food lately. You know, Veggie Tales, I think kids used to write in and they would like answer questions. So I would oh. love to write into Veggie Tales and be like, what does Bob the Tomatoes come taste like? Has Larry the Cucumber been in somebody's pussy or asshole? <laughs> But what were you going to say about the tomato? The tomato, a decidedly new world crop. <coughs> Following people obtaining the tomato from the Americas, it makes its way to Europe. People love it in yeah. Europe. People love it all over the world, right. the tomato. They never had it before. It's interesting to me that then Italian immigrants come back to the United States right. in the like 19th century. The tomato had never been that popular in the United States. It wasn't. People didn't like it. Italians come over. They love the tomato. Yeah. They have all these recipes that deal with tomato. The tomato becomes super popular in the U.S. after the Italians introduce it. People equate tomatoes with like Italian cooking. Right. It was never. It was never an Italian thing. 600 years ago. It didn't exist in Italian cuisine at right. all. And that's the other thing, too. Even Italy has different 
It's like everyone just assumes that that Italian American cuisine, but it's like you go to fucking Italy and they're eating like Mediterranean food, like fish. Very regional. Very regional. Yeah. And then you've got like the four ancient Roman pasta dishes. None of them involve fucking tomatoes. No, because they're, they predate the tomato. Exactly. And it's like now, you know, what's the top tomato in the world? San Marzano tomatoes. Right. You can only grow them in the volcanic sh- ground around Pompeii. Yeah. Or whatever. Right. It's just incredible to me. It's that very interesting. This becomes such a like part of tradition, even though. 500 years ago, it didn't even exist. That's why history, I think, too, it's like you kind of can't get so caught up in it all the time because it's like, I think it's actually a cool thing in history that it's like different cultures influenced each other. Like, it's interesting to me that the Polynesians came over to the South Americans and they were like, oh, shit, you got, oh, I fucking love these potatoes, dude. Hey, (laughs) you guys like chickens? Yeah. We got some fucking chickens. You guys want some of these? And then the Polynesians were like, hey, do you like the Polynesian rat? Because we got a lot of those, too. (laughs) And then it just keeps like cycling around and it's just, it's just neat. It's, um, it's a neat part of history. Yeah. Because it's all about geography, right? Like certain things could only grow in certain areas for whatever reason, over evolution. And, um, you know, nowadays I think we take that for granted because it's like, I'm not supposed to be able to eat bananas year round. That's not supposed to be a thing I can do. Yeah. But because of globalization, you can. Yeah. But um, I should only be able to eat bananas like at one time in the year when they're ripe. Right. And I really, it should be very difficult for me to get them. Yeah. I mean, honestly, <laughs> honestly, I think that bananas are probably like one of the worst crops, right? Because- yeah. The bananas we eat are the immature seeds yeah. of the banana plant. So it's sort of this self-defeating fruit in yeah. a way, unless you're very careful about how you cultivate it. Which we know humans would be, certainly. Humans wouldn't be irresponsible with how they cultivate If you crops. like a banana, bunkfuckers, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Andy fucking hates them. So. Yeah, yeah. Have you tried something sustainable? I've never like seen you. Like fucking beans? <laughs> I've never seen you eat a banana, actually. And Do you, you never, not like bananas? And you never will. I'm not See, gonna have, I want you to go on record right now. Do you like bananas? I'm not going to have you making fun of me for how I eat a banana because I have to deep throat the whole thing. I'm not going to allow, allow you to peel see Peel and all and then you spit out the peel. Right. It's tied together. Yeah. I'm not going to have you mock me for how I eat a banana. Do you like bananas? Uh, go on the record. Yes, I love bananas. Okay. I think if somebody told me that they didn't like banana, I would be like, why? There's people who don't like banana. I think that it's such a great fruit. It's, it's a good fruit. It's like... It's not as healthy as people think it is. It's a lot of sugar. Yeah. It does have a good amount of potassium, but yeah. truth be told, you're better off eating a potato. Yeah. It's got a lot more potassium. It's the same thing as like an orange. The best thing the best thing you can eat, Bunkfunkers, is beans. Why? They have, they have good potassium. Do they? They have lots of vitamins, good fiber. Very good for you. Very healthy. All right. Big bean. Big bean. I'm a big bean fan. You're, Love You beans. are big bean. I am big bean. If I could be any mascot in the world, it would be big, big bean. Big bean. Big bean. Did you give a verdict? No, not yet. <laughs> uh, first of all, I'm going to agree with you. Case confirmed. Polynesians and Vikings. Yeah. I just think that. I like both those cultures. A lot. Vikings. I mean, cool. most scholars are in agreement with us on this. Polynesians, less consensus, but. I, to me, it's like the evidence here is obvious. Like yeah. there's too much of it where there's a shitload of smoke. There's got to be at least a little bit of fire. So case confirmed on Polynesians and me with a match and me that with I put out match. on my tongue. Guess what? There'll be no Christmas this year. Children. <laughs> Santa's house burned down. 
So case confirmed, Polynesians and the Vikings. Yeah. As for, I'm going to kind of do a blanket kind of a thing with you two. Like, I think that there doesn't seem, at least not what I'm seeing, that there's a whole lot of evidence for early East Asian contact with um, parts of the Americas. I feel like the East Asian one is probably the one I like the most just because you're so close to Alaska. Yeah. I'm but, just saying, I'm just saying, I, you know, the evidence doesn't compel me. Right. Of what's out there right now. So but they're, they're saying, yeah, they're saying they're down in South America. I'm like, eh. Yeah. I'm not so, buying that. So on that, I'm kind of going, I'm going to be plausible minus two. Um, and the same thing for ancient Mediterranean cultures, Romans yeah, and Phoenicians. I might even put them lower. Yeah. Maybe it's plausible minus and a half for me. Yeah. Because you made it, you made a good point. That they don't just have to get there, they have to get back. Right. Because if they made contact and they never came back, we would probably know about it from genetics. And since there are none, we would have to know about it from an account. And obviously this would have been a big deal. Huge deal. And there's nobody nobody's saying that. So yeah. I kind of don't find that as compelling. Um, earlier European contact, like the Salutrian thing, I just don't, I don't think there's a good, there's not really good evidence for that other than oh, the culture stuff is kind of the same. Yeah, I kind of like the idea of like West African contact, though. Yeah, I can see that. But it's it, I can see that, but it's far-fetched. It ends up the same way that it's, I'm just going to go plausible minus on that because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, there's not a ton of evidence for it, but I think that if, if there was anything I was going to believe, that one I could probably be convinced of the easiest. Um. Are furiously taking notes here. <laughs> I got to write down the hashtag. <laughs> I cut the space out in post. <laughs> All right, <laughs> bunkfuckers. Motherfuckers. Listen up. <laughs> Bunkerfuckers. Uh, those were our verdicts on this fucking episode. What do you think? Use the hashtag. Oh, we got so many options here, but I think it's got to be Malice Penis. <laughs> it could have been also been Big Bean. <laughs> I think yeah, Malice I Penis said if it wasn't sense. Malice Penis. Yeah. Well, listen, Buckfuckers, we're children. I don't know what to tell you. If you get upset by it, maybe we're not the show for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like, I'm going to laugh at Malice Penis 10 out of 10 times. I'm always going to laugh at that. And I will go on the record and say that it probably is Malospinous, but I don't care. In the moment, it, <laughs> I said Malice Penis. You did. And it seemed very natural. Malice penis. Let us know what you think. Email us, mrbunkerpod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at mrbunkerpod. Um, I don't know. We're on YouTube. Uh, I got to post that one YouTube video still. <laughs> Look out for that. Look out for that. That's coming out sometime soon. And uh, if you feel so inclined, you have the means to do so. You want to support the show, help keep the lights on. You can find us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash mrbunkerpod. For just five bucks a month, you get access to the Bunker Discord, 40 plus hours behind the scenes, not behind the scenes, whatever, Patreon only content. It's really fun stuff down there. We do fun stuff on the Patreon. We do fun stuff on the Patreon and Bunk Funkers, just to reassure you, every dollar you spend on Patreon does go to help paying Art and I's bail to keep us out of jail and making content It's for a you. jail bail. Jail bail. Um, it's true. And, um, you know, you can... Uh, Feel good that you're supporting two idiots' dreams. Right. I don't know. Yeah. There you go. We'll feel good for you. Does that make you feel good, Bunk Funkers? Does that make you fucking feel good? 
Does that make you feel good? Andy, anything else? I mean, great, hefty, juicy topic here, Tish. Thanks again. Yeah, TJ, thanks for the great topic. There was certainly a lot to sink we our hope teeth we, into. We hope we did it justice. Yeah, I mean, we'll have to. you'll have to let us know what you think. But uh, no, I think it was a really interesting topic. And it just goes to show you that even though the world's a big place, maybe it's a little bit smaller than what we think sometimes. That's cute. Yeah. Well, for not the titular Mr. Bunker, but for my... Oxophilite. I took Sophilite co-host Andy Hart. I'm Art Stone saying that was the whole enchilada. I am Malice Penis. Infatuated with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on, it was come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network. 